Welcome in on a Friday. How you doing, everybody? Thank you for joining us. Mike Steely, Parker Thune, getting you ready for the weekend. We have Bedlam Basketball tomorrow, 11 a.m. on CBS. Tom McCarthy, Chris Walker on the call, the Sooners and the Cowboys. And uh, Parker, the Sooners, if they don't put this one in the win column, first of all, their uh, NCAA tournament hopes are uh, on life support right now. You can pull the plug if they lose this one. I don't think there's any question about it. And they're in danger of dropping their fifth game in a row to Oklahoma State. So it's a big game, obviously, huge game for Oklahoma. Yeah, no doubt. And this is actually this is the first game all year. I've quite uh, quite conspicuously been hesitant to slap the must-win label on any game thus far for the Sooners. This is the first game where I can very comfortably assert that, no, this is a must-win. If the Sooners don't get this victory tomorrow, you can, like you said, you can, you can effectively pull the plug on their NCAA tournament odds. Yeah, and uh, Oklahoma would drop to 14-15 and 15 on the season, which would be very disappointing. Again, uh, you would wonder about would they would they go to the NIT? What would that look like? And again, just losing to your Bedlam rival five straight times would not be good for OU. And uh, once again, we've talked about this time and time again. This team continues to play hard. I, I, I don't think it's an effort issue. I think it's a talent and conference issue. And, you know, I hate to say that, like, the Sooners don't have any players, but they don't have that guy, like Cade Cunningham. Remember what he did last year in Norman? He came out and uh, really stamped himself as, yeah, I'm the number one guy you need to be looking at in the NBA draft. He had a phenomenal game at Lloyd Noble Center. Uh, and then it was just two days later the Cowboys went back to Gallagher-Iba and beat Oklahoma. And, of course, Oklahoma State won earlier this year in Stillwater, 64-55. And, you know, the Cowboys are talking a little bit of trash in this uh, deal. You had Caleb Boone saying, you know, after the first game, you don't want to lose to little brother. You had Rondell Walker backing that up. You got Mike Boynton saying, you know, there's no reason to be friendly in this rivalry. And I, I think that's all well and good, man. I like that stuff. I don't think it's been over the top or over the line by any means. But, uh you would expect this Oklahoma team to be fighting for their lives tomorrow. I mean, you've got to go out and put out a, a great effort, and you need to win these next two home games, then take your shot in Manhattan to close out the regular season to have any hope. And, again, I, I, I don't even think, you know, if you win these next three that uh, you're you're looking good. They're, they're on the outside looking in right now, according to Joe Lenardi and everybody else. But to give yourself any chance, you got to win out, and that starts tomorrow. Well, and especially on your home floor, Mike, this is one you got to have because you know, I know I know the whole conversation surrounding the Lloyd Noble Senate. Well, there are multiple, right? Fans aren't showing up the way that they should be. Porter Moser and Jenny Baranchek want a new arena, yada, 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 what have you. But coming home to Norman and having this two-game homestand against Oklahoma State and West Virginia, this is pivotal because I think if you win these two games, Mike, you give yourself a lot of momentum and a very legitimate chance to go up to Bramlage Coliseum for the final game of the regular season next weekend and go and beat Kansas State for the first time since 2012 in their venue. And if you do that, all of a sudden you're right back in the thick of it. Mike, if you win these last three games the regular season, I don't think too many other dominoes need to fall in order for Oklahoma to sneak into the back end of this tournament field. Yeah, you're, you're at least in the conversation again if you can get that done. But, uh, look, first things first, you've got to win this game tomorrow. Uh, be locked in on that game tomorrow, and I'm sure Porter Moser and the coaching staff are. We'll see if the players can go out and uh, 
you know, play a good game. Uh, Mo Gibson has been uh, a guy that's been a lot better at Lloyd Noble Center than he has been on the road. Uh, will there be another guy, you know, can two guys step up for Oklahoma and have great games? We've seen games where Tanner Groves is the guy and Mo Gibson is the guy. But they need, uh, you know, efforts uh, for multiple guys scoring the basketball tomorrow to get this done against Oklahoma State. And what a year it's been for in-state basketball. Really, uh, Tulsa's had a horrible year. They're 3-12 and in the AAC, 9-17 and overall. Cowboys aren't going to any postseason tournament. The Sooners uh, definitely, at this point, not headed to the NCAA tournament. Oral Roberts made that great run last year with Max Asmus and Kevin O'Banner. And uh, as you guys know, Kevin O'Banner is at Texas Tech now uh, playing for the Red Raiders. And uh, Max Asmus having another good year for ORU, but they're... You know, they just got beat by South Dakota State again, and South Dakota State is undefeated in the Summit League. So for ORU to get to the tournament, they'll have to win the postseason uh, Summit Conference tournament. So it's it's been a down year for state basketball. Hopefully we get a good game tomorrow. What do you think about a rooster tip-off? What do I think about it? I mean, are you, does it bother you like it bothers some people, like for a college football game to have a rooster tip or a kickoff? What about a rooster tip? Well, off? I, I don't think it bothers me as much as a football game just because, you know, a basketball game is over and done with in about two hours. So it doesn't take as large of a chunk out of your day as a football game does. And that's that's the big thing with 11 a.m. kickoffs that everybody uh, is kind of on edge about whenever they do happen at OU, right, is the fact that well, you sit down to watch a game at 11 a.m. It's probably not going to be over until at least 2.30. And then at that point, your afternoon's half over. And so it really is kind of an inopportune juncture in the day for a college football game. For a basketball game, you know, ideally the game's over by 1 p.m., and you got the whole day ahead of you. So, no, it doesn't bother me quite as much. Yeah, and, and I think for uh, tailgaters, you know, it's it's more problematic for football, obviously, because if you want to have a good two- or three-hour tailgate, you that's that's why we called it a rooster kickoff in the first place. It's not like the roosters are crowing at 11 a.m., but to get where you need to be, to get set up, to get to the game and everything, you have to wake up with the rooster crowing. Uh, to get to a rooster kickoff. So OSU and uh, Oklahoma tomorrow, 11 a.m. on CBS. You've got a big game, uh, Kansas at Baylor, coming up tomorrow night in Waco. That's a 7 o'clock game on ESPN. Uh, other games in the Big 12 tomorrow, Texas at West Virginia, 1 o'clock on ESPN2. Iowa State and K-State will play at 1 o'clock on ESPNU. And then you have uh, Texas Tech playing at TCU. That is a 5 o'clock tip on ESPN2. The OU women, by the way, will play tomorrow at uh, 4 o'clock uh, against Kansas State, and they are honoring the 2002 Sooner team that uh, won 34 games, only lost to the Stacy Dales Club that went to the championship game, didn't win the national title, but had a phenomenal year, 34-2 and overall, number two uh, in the final rankings. And that team will be honored tomorrow at the LNC. And Jenny Baranchek and company got back on track. They snapped that uh, three-game losing streak with a big win, uh, 92-57 to at TCU on uh, Wednesday night. So that should be uh, a festive event uh, coming up tomorrow, 4 o'clock at the LNC, Oklahoma and Kansas State. So uh, what else is going on? Jocelyn Allo will try and set the all-time NCAA 
Uh, home run record for softball let's, today. Let's not kid ourselves, Mike. Jocelyn Allo will set the record. It's happening today. Is it going to happen in the first game? It's happening today. Cal State Fullerton. They've got two today. They've got Cal State Fullerton uh, coming up, and they have that's a 2.30 start. And then Patty Gasso faces her alma mater, Long Beach State, at 5 o'clock. Uh, later today, they've got um, interesting matchups. By the way, tomorrow Arizona and Tennessee, and then Sunday they play Utah. But yeah, with two games today, you would think that Jocelyn Allo will homer her way into the record books, uh, and maybe even have multiple home runs today for OU. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I here's the thing. I don't know if it happens in the first game to answer your question, but I would wager good money that Jocelyn Allo is taking the crown from Lauren Chamberlain at some point today. Yeah, what an amazing uh, story, you know, she's been. And uh, I love the fact that, you know, Dylan Gabriel transfers to OU and he's already had, uh, they've had served uh, Hawaiian cuisine, you know, she served up some Hawaiian cuisine. You've got Jonah Laulu also coming to OU. So uh, that's kind of a cool deal. And uh, the Sooner women again will play in the Mary Nutter Classic, two games today. Cal State Fullerton, 2.30, Long Beach State, 5 o'clock. Tomorrow against Arizona at noon, and then uh, scheduled to play Tennessee at 2.30, and then a early game uh, Sunday against Utah. I think it's 11 a.m. Central for that matchup. So thank you to Tim Lasher and Lasher Home Comfort Systems for sponsoring our first hour here on Steelman and Thune at noon right here on the home of Sooner fans, the Ref Radio Network. You can give them a call at 405-579-3113. That's 405-579-3113. And they'll do a great job for you. They've done a great job for us here at our home on two separate occasions. And they got things fixed quickly and uh, at a very reasonable price. So you know Tim Lasher, great dude, and a fabulous company, Lasher Home Comfort Systems. So what's on tap for you this weekend? Anything? Well, I was going to go up to Tulsa. For a 7-on-7 event up there hosted by Sooner 7, but due to inclement weather and this persistent snow and ice, it's been canceled. So, I don't know, Mike. Might might stay around, might go to the basketball game, cover that, might swing down to the DFW area. I don't know. The world is my oyster right now. You could uh, you could go hang out with Fred Hoiberg. He's still there in Lincoln, Nebraska. He and uh, it's it's so interesting that Trev Alberts, the athletic director there, you know, he issued this statement on Scott Frost saying basically this dude's going to have to take a pay cut and get things going, but we're going to keep him here for the time being. And yesterday it was pretty much the same statement about Fred Hoiberg, right? Virtually the exact same. I made the joke on Twitter. It was like. Uh, it was like Trev Alberts told the communications office, yeah, just uh, take that Scott Frost's press release and uh, switch up the name, send it out for Poiberg. Yeah, well, I mean, he's the mayor of Ames. You can't be the mayor of Ames and be the mayor of Lincoln, right, Fred Hoiberg? That, like, the, the Nebraska basketball job, Mike, might be one of the most unenviable positions in Power 5 collegiate sports. It is impossible to succeed at that job. Mike, Nebraska has never won an NCAA tournament game. Which still is one of the most amazing stats out there. It really is. 
And, uh, you know, they had, uh, who was the uh, Polish rifle? Was that Eric Piekowski? Eric Piekowski. Yep. And then you had uh, Tyron Lue. Lue. They, they, uh, uh, Mikey Moore at one point. They've, they've had some players there. They've had some good players. Jared Boone. But they have never won a game in the NCAA tournament. That's that's incredible. You know, most the recently. Center, the Devaney Center, I, you know, I I broadcast a couple games from there, and that's been a long time ago. But it wasn't a bad facility back in the day. I don't know how it stacks up now, but, man, that's a, that's still one of the most amazing stats to me. And not that I, you know, think Nebraska should have won multiple games in the NCAA tournament, but not to have won a single game in the tournament is crazy. It's 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 astonishing, is what it is, because they've been playing the tournament for what eighty plus years now, and not once over those eight decades have you been able to score even a single victory in postseason play. Like at a certain point, it's almost it's almost as if they're cursed. Yeah, it's really weird. By the way, speaking of uh, Nebraska, I did see that Dr. Tom Osborne turned to eighty five like two days ago. Crazy. Tom's his, still kicking, uh, man. Yeah, his matchups with uh, Barry Switzer back in the day. Man, Switzer used to have his number. And remember, uh, when Switzer was still coaching, Tom Osborne didn't have a national championship. He went on to match Barry Switzer with three national titles before his career was over with. But, man, back in the day, there were so many plays that OU made in that series against Dr. Tom. I almost felt, well, I actually did because, yeah, I think Dr. Tom's a classy guy, but uh, so many of those rabbits they pulled out of the hat late. That's where Sooner Magic was born in Oklahoma versus Nebraska, and, and I can still remember the cutaway shots. Somehow Oklahoma would make an incredible play to win the game when it looked like they were down and out, and they'd have the cutaway of Dr. Tom over there chomping on his gum with the headset looking like, really, again? It happened again, happened time and time again. Uh, all right, we got to take a break right here. Good to be with you on a Friday, getting ready for the weekend. I'm Mike Steely. He's Parker Thune. We are Steel Man and Thune at noon. First hour presented by Last Year Home Comfort Systems here on the ref. We'll take a break right here, come back. Let's talk a little sooner football when we get back. Stay here.
Okay, coming back with uh, one of the great rock and roll riffs of all time right there, a little China Grove from the Doobie Brothers. Like it, like it a lot. I like that it's Friday. I like that the sun is out and shining and the uh, ice is uh, melting. That's good. That's good. Uh, We're going to start warming up slowly but surely. And uh, speaking of warming up, did you see this uh, story that Alan Kinney of SB Nation wrote about uh, Sooner fans and Lincoln Riley again? No, I did not. Give me the scoop. Right. Here, here is uh, here's the opening salvo from this. Uh, oh boy, from this story. Whenever, whenever from I this... hear opening salvo, I know it's going to be a doozy. Yeah, it, it's oh, it's a doozy. For the sake of everyone's sanity, I'd like to propose an agreement between fans of the Oklahoma Sooners and the college football media at large. What I'm suggesting is quite simply, really, and if you've been take partake in of the discourse in recent weeks, you understand what I'm trying to broker here. Um, that Oklahoma fans and the media stop dissing Lincoln Riley so much. On one hand, I'd offer that OU fans cut the Lincoln Riley blank and don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about with Tebow blowing up on Twitter, uh, mentions at the mere invocation of Riley's name, draw ire, etc., etc. I inadvertently pointed uh, the swarm in the direction of a couple of writers recently, so I know what it's like up close. It's annoying and it's tired. As for you, members of the media, this is a two-way street. I'd humbly propose you consider the possibility that football was played in Norman, Oklahoma, before uh, Lincoln Riley ever set foot there. Uh, He said uh, this as well. You see, even in times like these, we should all be able to agree on certain statements of fact. For example, Riley is a brilliant football mind. He also possesses an innate understanding of the importance of recruiting and how to market a program in the modern landscape of college football. So he's another one joining the parade saying, get over it. And, again, I I think the whole – misunderstanding on this deal uh look same song same dance is that OU fans aren't going to sit here and tell you that uh, this guy was the worst coach of all time they're angry at the deceit what they perceive as the deceitful season where he wasn't answering questions and look I don't think that Lincoln Riley was going to ever come up there. By the way, guys, I know it's game six here, but I'm considering Southern Cal. All right, let's start the press conference. But it just didn't go down right, and it left a very bitter taste in the mouths of Sooner fans. That's why they're upset. Do we uh, do we all agree that Lincoln Riley is a brilliant football mind? I mean, I think he's a really good offensive coach, but brilliant? I mean, is he like an Einstein? What do we think? Uh, in today's day and age, in terms of offensive prowess, I would say I would say sure, yeah. Lincoln Riley's a brilliant football mind in the sense that he knows how to coordinate offense. There's a reason why Oklahoma's offense became so high octane immediately upon his arrival on campus, and as soon as he took the reins from Josh Heupel in Oklahoma's offense, statistically, it was a boon. For that program. And you can chalk that up to the arrival of Baker Mayfield as much as you can chalk it up to the arrival of Muleshoe. But at the same time, I don't think you can deny that he is far above average. He is far north of the mean when, I it, agree. Comes to, when it comes to his ability to be an offensive play caller. Now, I think the question that a lot of folks had about him, uh, particularly once you got on into year three, year four of his tenure as head coach, is 
Is he wearing too many hats? Does he know how to be an effective head coach and an effective play caller at the same time? And I think that's going to be the biggest concern. That should be the biggest concern in USC fans' minds, just watching how his career at Oklahoma unfolded because you almost got the sense that Lincoln Riley had bitten off more than he could chew in terms of responsibility at Oklahoma. And so if he is, if he is dead set on calling his own plays and being the head coach and having a heavy hand in the recruiting efforts out at USC, is he spreading himself too thin? Did he spread himself too thin at Oklahoma? Again, there are going to be conflicting opinions and conflicting reads on that particular question. But I think there's definitely an argument to be made that Lincoln Riley is one of those guys that's a better coordinator than he is a head coach. And I would say yes. There is no doubt in my mind that uh, Lincoln Riley is one of the uh, top five offensive minds in college football. But, you know, it's a lot easier calling plays with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray, right, than it is uh, we've seen since the quarterback play hasn't been as good. He doesn't look like as big a genius. Now, again, uh, I I think he's an excellent, excellent offensive coach. I'm not going to dispute that. Uh, You know what I think the most impressive thing Lincoln Riley did during his tenure at OU was tailor the offense to Jalen Hurts, in my opinion. Very Uh, true. You know, uh, because he – it wasn't – you know, I'm sure it's a lot of it's the same playbook, but different looks, and he's very creative. There's no doubt about that. And to me, that is where I looked at Lincoln Riley because, you know, Jalen Hurts at Alabama had been beaten out by Tua. Nobody doubted his will or what kind of leader he was and that he was a, a, a good, solid college quarterback. There's no doubt. But I thought Jalen Hurts' season, even with all the turnovers, you know, the way they used him in the running game and, uh, you know, just how they dialed up some things differently during his season at Oklahoma. To me, that was uh, Lincoln Riley's uh, masterpiece at Oklahoma. I don't, may, masterpiece is probably too strong of a word, but you know what I'm saying? I thought that was the high point for him at OU. I And I would agree because that 2019 team probably I, – I, I hate to say they didn't, they didn't live up to the billing – in comparison to the 2017 and 2018 teams, but anybody can look at that three-year progression and realize, Mike, that what Oklahoma had at their disposal top to bottom in 2019 did not approach what they had in 2017 and 2018. If they had a half-decent defense in 2018, that was a national championship team. Mm -hmm. If they had a half-decent defense in 2017, that was easily a national championship team. In 2019, you know, it was year one of the Alex Grinch regime defensively. There was a lot of turnover. You had CeeDee Lamb playing in his prime. But other than that, there were a lot of question marks on both sides of the ball for that football team. And for Jalen Hurts to step in the way that he did after essentially sitting for an entire season at Alabama behind Tua Tungvaloa and being demoted in that fashion. For him to step in and perform the way that he did is a credit to him, certainly, but it's also... As as bitter as it tastes coming out of my mouth and as bitter as it would taste coming out of anyone's mouth uh, in the state of Oklahoma, it's also a credit to Muleshoe. Yeah, no doubt. And and I think uh, another mistake uh, that some of the national people looking at this situation are making is that all Oklahoma fans now, they think Lincoln Riley was total junk and, oh, man, he can't coach. We're in, we're in a better situation with Brent Venables. 
And Lincoln Riley did a really good job. He did a really good job. Didn't win a national championship, but they got progressively worse. The records indicate that. Uh, winning the Big 12 is not like winning, uh, you know, the SEC. We know that. And again, I, I think Lincoln did a, Mule did a really good job. But overall, but also this narrative that, oh, Brent Venables, man, coming in, this guy hasn't been a head coach. I mean, come on. Well, he hasn't been a head coach, but he's also been a part of a bunch of national championship games. He has three national championship rings. And I think, again, when you're looking at where Oklahoma's headed, eventually to the SEC, this is a better staff uh, for Oklahoma moving in that direction. And that's what a lot of Oklahoma fans are saying. They're not automatically just saying, yeah, Brent's a better coach than Lincoln Riley. They like this staff and the makeup of this staff and the philosophy of this staff, both the way they're going to approach the game and the way they ap- approach recruiting and everything. I think they feel better about it. All right, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. That's the last time we'll mention the M word today, hopefully. All right. Okay, we've got Caden McFarland coming up, KJRH Sports Director in Tulsa. We'll get his thoughts on Bedlam, on a lot of other stuff as well. It is Friday. Thank you to Lasher Home Comfort Systems for sponsoring our first hour. Coming right back on The Ref.
Uh, yes, it is Friday, finally Friday. This has been a uh, very interesting week with all the weather issues we've been dealing with. And we do have Bedlam basketball tomorrow in Norman. It is a rooster tip-off, 11 a.m. on CBS. Cade McFarland, KJRH Sports Director in Tulsa joining us uh, to talk a little sports with us. And, uh, Caden, what about this Bedlam matchup tomorrow? The Cowboys have a chance to make it five in a row. And uh, we we described it as Oklahoma in terms of their NCAA tournament hopes. They're on life support, uh, barely uh-huh. breathing. And, and the Cowboys can pull the plug tomorrow, it seems like. Yeah, that just about sums it up. And, you know, I think OSU's got the better team. They certainly played the better ball, you know, over the last month or so. But Oklahoma needs this one so badly, uh, and being at home, you wouldn't be surprised if they came up with one of their better performances in the last few weeks, finally shot it well, you know, like they did in the upset of Tech a couple weeks ago and, and came out with a win. But, man, if they don't, um, that's a real feather in the cap, uh, you know, for the four Oklahoma natives who played such a big role for OSU in the first Bedlam win in Stillwater a couple weeks ago. Uh, and, you know, this team that has nothing to play for in terms of the postseason, I've been so impressed with the way they battled here of late. And they have been the better team, you know, here in the state of Oklahoma. Uh, to go into Norman to sweep those guys again, that would be huge. Um, as You know, there is just nothing that, that puts a nice little cherry on top of this season for the Cowboys because, you know, that's what everybody plays for is the tournament. But a bedlam sweep is, is about as good as it gets, right? Uh, and, and for the Sooners, look, they haven't looked like an NCAA. For a long time, we, we said, look, this is an NCAA tournament-level team. Look at all the marquee wins they have. And now I, I think over finally the last couple of weeks, we've come to grips with, you know, it, even though the schedule is brutal, and, you know, we understand how if you're playing really, really good teams night in, night out, sometimes the record isn't going to be great. The play has slipped, and with, when you take Elijah Harkless out of the mix, it's not a tournament team anymore. You know, they might find a way to win two or three games here down the stretch and find their way in, but that doesn't mean that they're actually playing like a tournament team. Without Harkless and the things he can do for them, especially defensively, um, man, I, 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 don't know, I don't know that they can finish with a winning record and even make the NIT. Well, let me ask you this. Caden, as you talk about this Oklahoma State basketball team, and you you mentioned it earlier, they really don't have anything to play for as you look ahead to the postseason. But for where this team sits right now, thirteen and fourteen overall on the season, do you think that maybe had they not had the win taken out of their sails right from the get go this season with the NCAA's postseason ban, that maybe that record is a little bit better right now, and maybe they're sitting in position to make the NCAA tournament? Oh, it, almost no doubt in my mind. I think they would have been much sharper earlier in the season. And I, I think that they would have piled up some victories. I think the record would look different. You know, I think what we've seen from them for the most part, uh, you know, beating Kansas State most recently and, you know, playing Baylor, you know, into overtime, it, that, that, that's who they are. Like, it, it's a flawed team, not offensively gifted. Um, it's certainly not elite. But, man, they've got some great size and athleticism. And I, I think that if the motivate there was a bit of a swoon there, right, in uh, late January, early February, if memory serves me correct. They just, I think if the motivation had been there for the NCAA tournament, there would be a few more wins, and they would be in the tournament without question. They wouldn't be 
you know, like a top six seed or anything like that. They're too flawed for that. But there's no doubt in my mind, the size, the athleticism, uh, I, this this would be a tournament team and the kind that if, if the matchup were right, they would be a handful for anybody. I mean, we saw it with Baylor just the other night. They really can go toe-to-toe um, with some of the best teams in the country athletically um, on, on any given night. You know, if they're shooting the ball, they're a dangerous team. So I, I do think it affected the team. I, I would say that Mike Boynton's done a good job. Not a great job, but a good job under the circumstances. I mean, it just dealt such a brutal hand. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure there are a couple things here or there maybe he could have done better. But, um, you know, especially with, gosh, it, the NCAA tournament is the be-all and end-all for all of these kids, it seems, with regard to motivation. Um, but kids are so much more, they're different than they used to be. You know, when I grew up, and it's like they are so plugged into everything, and social media is allowed. They, I just think it weighed on these kids in a way that maybe it wouldn't have. 20 or 25 years ago. And, and maybe it wouldn't have if, if the gym was full every night, like it would have been back before every game was on TV and, you know, COVID and everything else. I, 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 I don't doubt that in, I think the crowd has done a decent job, but you know, if Gallagher had been full, for instance, and you're playing with just a little bit more motivation night in night out, they would have picked up another couple wins as well. So I think Boynton's done a good job. And especially down the stretch, it's been trending more towards a great job. You know, and if they if they sweep Bedlam, that really is a feather in the cap for uh, the coaching job he's done this year. Yeah, and that would be five straight for the Cowboys, which would be uh, yeah. pretty remarkable. And again, uh, if you don't really have anything to play for in terms of your postseason, yeah, sweeping your Bedlam rival, winning five in a row against Oklahoma would be uh, would be something that you would uh, celebrate. There's no doubt about it. Cade McFarland, our guest, KJRH Channel 2 Sports Director in Tulsa. We were talking about this earlier. It's been a down year for state basketball. TU's 9-17. and 17. They're 3-12 and 12 in the American Conference. Uh, Kevin O'Banner's at Texas Tech, Max Azmus, and uh, ORU, though they're 18 and 10, but nobody's been able to beat South Dakota State uh, in in that conference. Um, any chance that ORU can win the league and maybe get back to the tournament, or uh, is the state going to be shut out in the NCAA? Well, after what we saw last night with South Dakota State coming in and, and moving to 17 and 0 with an overtime win over ORU, I. I you can't pick against those guys. Uh, and North Dakota State, you know, who, who beat ORU and there was that little scuffle, uh, you know, a week ago yesterday. It, they're going to have to go through both of those teams in the Summit League tournament to get there. And so the odds are even longer than they were last year when they were, you know, I believe the four seed coming in. They definitely have a chance. You asked, do they have a chance? They Absolutely. They got a puncher's chance. Uh, you know, Max A. Smith um, toyed with the idea of going to the NBA and was even in, I, I believe, the NBA Combine um, camp last year and uh you know I, I think he's a guy with a pro future he's such a great shooter uh once again in the top five in scoring led the nation in scoring one year ago um he got hot and then that was such a big part of what they were able to do making the sweet 16 run last year losing O'Banner was just crushing and almost no doubt in my mind they would be the best team in the summit league if, if he was on that roster this year um They've got a chance, but they're not as equipped as they were one year ago because O'Banner's not there, even though they've got some, you know, some new guys who have stepped up, a young guard by the name of McBride who's really come into his own, a sophomore, uh, putting up bigger numbers as the season goes on. They'll have a puncher's chance, but, man, when you go up to the Dakotas and play that tournament, there really is a pretty good home court advantage for those schools. And South Dakota State at 17-0, and 0, like, they, to me – I, I should be an at-large team. I know they're not. I know they don't have that respect, you know, according to the numbers and the Lenardi and those guys wouldn't put them 
uh, at that level just yet. But, you know, based on what I've seen from them now twice this year and, you know, in a couple other instances, uh, you know, the game, Summit League ball has been interesting. You remember George Hill uh, played at Uwe Pui yep. years ago. I, it's been a pretty good offensive league for the last decade. And the game has come more that way, you know. And so teams that are good running the pick and roll, good shooting the three, are more dangerous in college basketball, even if they're at a bit of an athletic disadvantage than they used to be. And I, I think the Summit League, it's not a two-bid league. Uh, but in a year like this, I, you know, you know, if somebody were to pull an upset in the Summit League tournament, I think that South Dakota State team should be in. So uh, they're, they're flirting with it at least. And the ball's pretty good and at least entertaining in the Summit League. It's going to be tough for OU to get back. Um, but they're capable uh, it, it, with the right you know, set of circumstances. We saw last night, I mean, it, it took overtime for South Dakota State to put them down. So they've got a shot. Now, Caden, as we look ahead to the Big 12 tournament, it really looks like it's anybody's game. And yeah. you could just as realistically see Kansas plow through that tournament and take home the crown in the Big 12 as you could see a team the likes of a TCU pull a Cinderella run and maybe escape with a conference title. Uh, if things break a certain way. So uh, as you evaluate that conference top to bottom, who who would you put your money on right now if you had to guess who wins the Big 12 tournament and earns that automatic bid? I think Texas Tech is playing the best ball. Defense travels. Um, you know, it, it's up in Kansas City. I, I do love the way Bill Self has adjusted. Um, you know, they're playing more small ball, shoot more threes, get up and down. I, I I like that team a lot. I like the fact that, it, but they've been there and done that so much. And I and I think if those two teams square off, I, I could easily see Kansas winning this tournament if they're able to avoid Texas Tech. Somebody takes out the Red Raiders early. But if those two teams get matched up, I just think the way Tech can defend you, I I, I don't I don't think Kansas wants any part of it. So I I think all things considered, you know, I think I think Tech's the best team in this league right now. It's close because. Kansas is great. Baylor's great. All three of those teams with the right draw could, can make a run, you know, to the final weekend of the NCAA tournament without question. Maybe even a couple of them could. Uh, and this could look silly. I mean, Texas Tech could go out in, in round one because, as you mentioned, that's how wide open this thing could be. But it, I think they're playing the best ball, generally speaking, uh, and I think they're a matchup that Kansas doesn't want any part of. So, you know, I did, with trepidation, give me Texas Tech. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was Kansas or Baylor. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I got here to this state years ago, and I couldn't believe how often I heard media members running down the job that Scott Drew did. Um, you know, and I guess early on maybe there was reason to critique, you know, an inbounds play, you know, drawn up out of a timeout here or there. And, but I, for the life of me, I couldn't figure it out. I don't know if it was Bill Self or Kelvin Sampson or who it was kind of planting these seeds uh, you know, with some of the media folks in the state, but I mean, that guy can coach, can he not? And I mean, even he now, used to be, he used to be the guy that was holding him back. Kale, uh, he Kale, was a, yeah, it was, a, Kale, he was no a doubt. And, yeah, you know, and I went, I went to Dave Bliss's basketball camp as a New Mexico kid years ago. So I'm wow. aware of, I'm aware of what he did to that Baylor program, where he left them, and what an incredible, I, who, who in the history of college hoops. I mean, can you find five guys who have done a better job thinking about what Baylor was, the level they were at when Dave Bliss left, to national championship in Waco, Texas? I mean, he's not a perfect coach, but he is a doggone good one. And, you know, I wouldn't bet against him in a tournament setting like that either. So those are three really great teams at the top. 
Caden, good stuff. We always appreciate your time. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. My, my pleasure. Good talking to you, Mike. Cade McFarland joining us, KJRH Sports Director. Yes, Dave Bliss. That that was not a uh, pretty scene at the end there for Dave Bliss. And it really, you know, obviously it tarnished his reputation big time because he had a good reputation with Oklahoma fans too because of uh, that championship team he had back in 1976 that won uh, won the Big 8 and uh, went to the NCAA tournament. They beat Texas in the NCAA tournament. It was uh, – and then they lost too. Larry Joe Bird in Indiana State in the next round in Cincinnati. All right, we'll break right here. We've got another segment to go this hour. Uh, coming up later, one thirty-five, our Friday conversation with Brandon Drum. We'll talk all things Sooner football. Let's take a quick break here, talk a little uh, football and broadcasting when we get back.
Yes, tonight is a big night at Riverwind. The $80,000 River of Romance promotional drawing begins at 6 p.m., runs till 11.30. They'll be drawing out three patrons' names every half hour from 6 to 11.30. Throw 33 names out there. 33 times you can hear your name called. You have that many chances. And, again, if you can play uh, with your wild card on Monday and Tuesday for these great Friday night drawings, you'll have a better chance of winning. But uh, anybody can win. And then they draw out two grand prize winners just before midnight tonight as well. Final drawing for the $80,000 River of Romance giveaway happening tonight at Riverwind. And then the next Friday, it all starts, uh, we start the cycle again on uh, February 27th. Uh, get out there on Monday and Tuesday and get ready to try and win in the $80,000 courtside cash drawing. They've also got a promotion coming up next month where you can br- win a brand-new uh, Cadillac SUV. So there's always something to be won, not just the jackpots you can win at any time, but in these great promotions they have at Riverwind. That's why they are simply the best. So what are we thinking? Uh, Troy Aikman's broadcast partner is looking like what? Joe Buck, Al Michaels? What do you think, Parker? I mean, I would prefer Al Michaels to Joe Buck. I think the interesting thing is, and I don't know if you've seen this circulating on social media yet, apparently there's a lot of buzz that Sean Payton might be Troy Aikman's replacement at Fox. Yeah, I'm seeing that too, and um, that that would be interesting. I don't know uh, how that would go down, how, you know, we, we... it's just like when Tony Romo started. the The buzz on Tony Romo earlier was he was way too hyper and called every play. But I think Romo has uh, has been pretty good. Which Which team did you prefer? Did you prefer Buck Aikman, uh, Nance Romo, or Al Michaels and uh, Chris Collinsworth? Uh, I think I think all told, I would probably pick Nance Romo. Obviously, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman have been together the longest. I mean, that's. Those guys essentially are collectively the voice of my childhood watching football because they've been a pair since 2006, I want to say. And so I, I, I've i listened to more of Joe Buck and Troy Aikman than any other broadcast pair maybe ever. But I will say I really, really like Jim Nance's subdued play-by-play style. And I also just love how brilliant of a football mind Tony Romo has. Like he he can tell you exactly what's happening. It's almost it's almost like he's gazing into a crystal ball sometimes at what exactly is about to unfold. It's very uncanny yeah. the knack he has for uh, analysis. It, it seems like they dialed him back a little bit from predicting every single play. I, I'm I'm with you. I give a slight edge to that crew. I think all three of those crews are really good. If you give me the analysts, I'd go Romo, slight edge over Eggman with Collinsworth third. Um, I, I like Nance because, as you described, it's subdued. He, he never t- tries to take things over. But, man, Al Michaels is really good. Joe Buck, I know, rubs some people the wrong way, but he's really a pro. Uh, so I don't know if I had to go play by play. That's man, it's hard to put anybody ahead of Al Michaels. I, I think though, based on as much as I've watched, uh, you know, uh, Jim Nance do golf too, I have a great appreciation for him. So I would go very, very, very slight edge of Nance over Michaels. But in terms of the uh, the broadcast teams that we've had recently, I would give a slight advantage to uh, to Nance and Romo. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how Troy does with Monday Night Football uh, and who they put in there. So 
Uh, man, I can't believe Al Michaels is still as good as he is at that age. Isn't he like 75 years old? Yes, and apparently Al the Michaels? legend the legend with Al Michaels is that he's like never eaten a vegetable. There you go. Right there. Is never? Like not, it's like he, he, he regards them as toxic. Like he won't touch them. Hmm. Maybe he's on to something. Maybe he's on to something. So once again, uh, we're going to find out where uh, where they're going to be headed Monday Night Football in terms of uh, who's going to be working with Troy, I'm sure, fairly soon. All right, we've got another hour to go. Brandon Drum's a busy man on the road uh, covering recruiting for 247 Sports and OU Insider. He'll join us at 135. We have Bedlam basketball happening tomorrow, 11 a.m. on CBS tomorrow. Cowboys and the Sooners go at it. Oklahoma State with a win would make it five straight against Oklahoma. If the Sooners have any hope, and it's a very, very faint situation in terms of their hopes for the tournament, got to win. Got to win tomorrow, no doubt. And even then, there's a lot more work to do. All right, another hour coming up here on The Ref. Keep it right here. We're coming around the corner with another hour for you.
It is a Friday edition. Hope you're doing well. Thank you for joining us. We have Brandon Drum coming up at uh, 12, uh, pardon me, 135 on uh, the law offices of Rod Polston at Oklahoma Tax Resolution Line. And again, uh, you can always uh, text us. I've been delinquent in mentioning the text line today, 405-651-3439. That's 405-651-3439 on the Air Comfort Solutions text line. And uh, we want to thank the uh, Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley for sponsoring hour number two here on the program. Uh, Exit 72 in Paul's Valley, great deal on a vehicle there, and that great guarantee of oil changes and engines for life on new or used gas or diesel from the uh, Seth Wadley Auto Group at no additional cost to you. Okay. Uh, Bedlam basketball tomorrow, 11 a.m. tip time. CBS, the Sooner women will play at four against TCU, and they, at halftime, will honor that great uh, Sherry Cole 2002 squad that only lost two games and ended up uh, playing in the national championship, had a great season, ended up ranked number two in the country, and that will be uh, happening again uh, during the half of the OU matchup with K-State. I, did I say TCU? It's K-State uh, that they're playing tomorrow at 4 o'clock. And, uh, again, the Cowboys and the Sooners tomorrow at 11 a.m. you got Kansas at Baylor. Big game in the Big 12 coming up tomorrow night. Number 5, KU at number 10, Baylor in Waco, 7 o'clock on ESPN. Here's a very interesting question I got, Parker. Uh, during the break, Steelman friends have been arguing about – SB winning QBs of Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, I guess, that have beaten Oklahoma and who the Sooners have beaten. Well, I, I think we talked about a couple of those during the 80s that, that won in Norman. John Elway is one. One in Norman on a rain slicking field uh, back when the Sooners had, uh, you know, AstroTurf back in the day. Uh, Stanford team came into Norman and beat Oklahoma, beat a Barry Switzer squad. Uh, Jeff Hostetler in the 82 season, I believe, came in with West Virginia, and they beat the Sooners in the season opener. Um, so there are two. And then uh, Joe Namath was the quarterback for Bama in the 63 Orange Bowl, I believe. That Yeah, I, I'm almost positive Joe Namath was the QB. I, you know, I wasn't born yet. I would be born later that August, but the 63 Orange Bowl – Alabama beat Oklahoma, and Joe Namath was the quarterback. Um, I'm 99.9% sure of that. So that would be three Super Bowl-winning quarterbacks that have beaten Oklahoma. And I guess, Parker, the only Super Bowl-winning quarterback the Sooners have beaten would be Patrick Mahomes. I can't think of any other. I know. Well, I'm, I'm racking my brain here. Well, you're young. You're huh. not expected. Yeah, this, the, you're... I mean, uh, godly, I'm trying to think any other quarterbacks that they faced. Uh, some of the modern-day quarterbacks, they never faced Brady. They did beat Mahomes. Uh, never faced Nick Foles. Um, never faced Peyton or Eli. Never faced Russell Wilson. Um, Drew Brees is at Purdue. Never, play, never played against uh, Drew Brees. Um yeah, yeah, you I know think what? That, that would be it. Patrick Mahomes might be the whole list. Yeah, I think that's it. Um, I'm trying to think of old school quarterbacks that OU. Stabler, I think he came later after, but I don't think that Oklahoma beat a, a Alabama team 
that was quarterback by Ken Stabler. I might be wrong, but I'm trying to think. They played in the Blue Bonnet Bowl in 1970, Oklahoma and Alabama, and I'm trying to remember Stabler's first year uh, in the NFL. That might be one, but I don't think so. But definitely, uh, they lost to Elway, they lost to Hostetler, and they lost to uh, Joe Namath. And uh, Patrick Mahomes would probably be the only one, unless there's some Sooner fan out there. Maybe it was uh, early Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. It starts with Bart Starr, and then you had uh, Joe Namath uh, was the third quarterback. Well, actually the second. He won Super Bowl three with that guarantee when they beat the Colts. Uh, I don't think they ever played against Lynn Dawson or Unitas. Staubach, mm, Bob Greasy was at Purdue. Bradshaw was at Louisiana Tech. Uh, Joe Montana Purdue was at has Notre pr- Dame. produced quite a few Heisman Trophy winning, or not Heisman Trophy winning, but Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. When you think, yeah, about. Drew Brees uh, and Bob Greasy won a couple. Lynn Dawson so, went to Lynn Purdue Dawson, as well. Lynn Dawson won uh, Super Bowl four. Yeah, pretty amazing. And uh, the Sooners, unless you want to count Troy Aikman, have never produced one. But uh, in a a roundabout way, you can throw Troy Aikman out there. Does that feel fair to throw Troy Aikman out there or not? No, I I, I go back and forth on it, but I really don't think OU fans can claim Troy Aikman because – if they want to raise hell about Alabama claiming Jalen Hurts, for instance, or Texas Tech claiming Baker Mayfield, or A and M claiming mm. Kyler Murray, then you got you got to have consistency across the board. So if you want to be the only school that can lay claim to Baker, Kyler, and Jalen, then you have to renege your claim on Troy Aikman. So, um, yeah, and I like for let's say Russell Wilson can NC State claim Russell Wilson? Wisconsin had him for one year. I don't know. Does it have to be where you graduated from? Because Russell Wilson graduated from North Carolina State. I don't know. It's it's kind of weird in that respect. That would be one guy that uh, maybe both schools could claim uh, Russell Wilson. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I would say Troy's a UCLA guy. I mean, he, he had his time as a Sooner, um, you know, and it, it worked out great for both parties, man. Barry Switzer placed a call to Terry Donahue because he, know, he knew that they were kind of going back uh, to run on the triple option again. And Aikman ran that some. And actually, I remember that Miami game broke off a pretty long run, but had his leg broken by Jerome Brown that day. And uh, you could see the direction. I mean, they, they just won the national championship with Jamel Holloway. So uh, I think that Switzer did uh, Troy a solid. Called Terry Donahue. Jim Everett, you know, the guy who came across the table against Jim Rome, uh, was considered to be like the guy. At that time, and Switzer go, oh, hell, I got a guy that can throw it better than ever. Hell, take him, you know. And uh, Troy Aikman, who uh, grew up in Henrietta but had California roots, of course, uh, after moving to Oklahoma, went out to UCLA and became uh, the number one pick in the draft. It was that draft, I believe it was Aikman one, Barry Sanders three, and... Green Bay with the second selection. You're too young to know, Parker, but they drafted. Anybody remember who they drafted? Number two that year? Troy, an offensive lineman, and then Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders should have been a Green Bay Packer. Barry Sanders should have been a Green Bay Packer. But, no, they went for Tony Mandarich. 
Tony Mandarich. Mr. Steroids himself. Google up the Tony Mandarich uh, SI cover. And that dude, you could tell, man, he had like a do-rag or like a headband or something. He had like two strands of hair on his head pretty much. You knew there were some roids going on there. And he ended up being, uh, based on where he was picked, a bust. And uh, think about that. If Green... It might have been a lot different for Barry Sanders in Green Bay. And, by the way, Mike, to round out the top five in that draft class, you had Aikman one, you had Barry Sanders three. Fourth pick was Derek Thomas, and the fifth was Deion Sanders. So Wow. What, man? Four of five uh, Hall of Famers right there. Four of five Hall of Famers. And Mandarich is the black sheep. Tony Mandarich was kind of like the Jose Canseco of his era. It was all about the roids. And I know you can point to other guys with the roids now, and you know Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa or Barry Bonds or A Rod or whoever. But Canseco was kind of the godfather, it seemed like. Um, but yeah, think about that. How about man? How much longer do you think Barry Sanders might have played had he been drafted by the Packers? Because basically he was tired of Detroit. Yeah, I mean, it, it was the same thing with Calvin Johnson. Right? I, I will never forgive the Lions, and I'm obviously too young to have watched Barry Sanders live, but I will never forget the Lions for ruining Calvin Johnson's love of football because there was arguably no player in the entire National Football League that was more fun to watch than that guy in his prime. Yeah, and, and the same for Barry Sanders, man. Uh, Barry Sanders... <laughs> Uh, I can remember the the game. It was a, was that the Thanksgiving Day game where he turned around Tony Casillas. Where just go ahead and go to YouTube and uh, Google up Barry Sanders Tony Casillas and you'll find out you know what Barry Sanders is all about. But uh, just unbelievable. I'm looking up Tony Mandarich on uh, on Wiki and he had a he was out of the league by '98. Never made all pro in uh, the NFL and uh, was, you know, he was he was just gigantic. And everybody thought he was can't miss. But obviously the steroids uh, inflated him somewhat. By, by, by the way, you, you know who recruited Tony Mandarich to Michigan State? Uh, Nick Saban. Nick Saban. Really? Wow. Nick Saban. Yeah, I knew because he was an assistant there, and, of course, he coached. What did Nick Saban coach like, three or four years? Defensive backs, yeah. Yeah, Michigan State. And, uh, you know, who uh, Saban is still huge buddies with Bill Belichick because he went to join Bill Belichick's staff in Cleveland and uh, was uh, the defensive coordinator there with the Browns. And uh, Belichick still, you know, raves about, and uh, they still talk quite a bit. But, yeah, how about that? Nick Saban recruited Tony Mandrich. He was – I'm reading Wiki. It says uh, he was referred to as the best offensive line prospect ever. Highly touted during his collegiate career at Michigan State. And, again, leading him to be selected in the top five of his draft class along future uh, alongside future pro- – Pro Football Hall of Famers, Troy Aikman, Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, and Deion Sanders. Man, that is crazy. That's crazy. What a – man, I don't know. If you can – can you find a top five better than that in the history of the NFL draft? I know Mandarich, uh 
stands out. And then after that, you had Broderick Thomas, uh, who was selected sixth. I'm trying to think who else in that. Uh, the evil Trace Armstrong was uh, selected 12th. No by way. The Chicago Bears. Yes. Hartley Dykes was selected number 16, Oklahoma State. Hartley Dykes. Wide receiver. And so the Cowboys had two of the top 16. Trace Armstrong, why is he evil? Well, he's the man who negotiated these deals as an agent for Muleshoe and for Brian Kelly, now the two most despised college football coaches in the country. Muleshoe, you know, uh, fibbing his way out of Norman and Brian Kelly dancing his way to humiliation in those videos, both represented by Trace Armstrong, who was the 12th pick in the draft that year by the Chicago Bears. Okay, let's break right here. Thank you, Seth Wadley Auto Group in Paul's Valley. Appreciate you for sponsoring our second hour. Remember, Exit 72, great deal on a vehicle from the Seth Wadley Auto Group and the greatest guarantee of all. Oil changes and engines for life on new or used gas or diesel at no additional cost to you. We have Brandon Drum coming up at 135, and uh, let's jump into a little more hoops when we get back. Stay here.
Okay, we'll be sending out an SOS for uh, Brandon Drum here next segment, OUinsider247sports.com. Mike Steeler with Parker Thune here on your Friday, Riverwind Casino tonight. Great chance to go out and win your share of $80,000 in uh, cash and bonus play. It is the final drawing for the $80,000 River of Romance giveaway at Riverwind happening tonight. Get on out there. Have a great meal. They now have an IHOP in the food court. How cool is that? If you want to go out to Riverwind, you know, Shay and I, we love uh, Chips and Ales, great pub restaurant, uh, the River Buffet, uh, seafood night, Saturday night. Shay loves uh, the crab legs, steak night. I'm a little more uh, into steak night, which is tonight, by the way, at the River Buffet. All you can eat for twenty nine ninety nine. So make a make a date night out of it. Go out there. You could win a jackpot, uh, you know, as well. Obviously, they give away tons of dollars uh, in jackpot winnings every month at Riverwind, and you could win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play tonight. I apologize for this mic. I hear it popping. There's no windsock on it. I'm trying to adjust it. Uh, anyway, the um, the situation tonight uh, could be great for you. Go have a great meal. Hear your name called. Uh, they draw out 33 names. They call them out between 6 and 1130 in this great uh, Friday night giveaway situation they always have. And uh, this month, in February, it's the $80,000 River of Romance giveaway. So get on out and uh, win your share at Riverwind Casino. Next month, they've got a lot of great promotions happening, including one where you can win a brand-new Cadillac SUV. Riverwind, simply the best. Okay, uh, well, Parker, you were projecting that Jocelyn Allo will definitely hit the uh, record-breaking home run today. Sooner women play two games out at the Mary Nutter Classic in California. They play Cal State Fullerton at 2.30. They play Long Beach State at 5 o'clock. And you're guaranteeing the record falls. I, I'm not guaranteeing it. I'm predicting it. That is, I mean, we, that we is my just, prognostication. We just talked Joe Namath not long ago. Joe Namath wasn't afraid to give a guarantee. Okay, you know what? Fine. I'll go Joe Namath then. I guarantee it is broken today. Okay. Yeah, I, I think most everybody would concur because they have two games today. Um. I don't know. Watch it be like the first pitch or something. I know. I mean, Wouldn't that be outstanding? That that team is just amazing. What a, what an absolute dynasty uh, Patty Gasso has built in Norman. It's it's so much fun, and uh, they seem to be all really great kids too. You know what I mean? And uh, when when you look at, we were talking about this yesterday, Parker, and uh, the sports world is changing. Uh, in terms of the way that games are being played, the way they're being televised or streamed, not, you know, um, you miss out if you don't have ESPN Plus, and I know not everybody can afford every app out there. The good thing is you get, you know, for ESPN Plus, you get like Disney Plus, and you can watch the uh, the Mandalorian or, you know, some other stuff on there. But um, – Everything seems to be changing. NIL, college football, college basketball has been a mess, I think, for a long time now. Just not quite what it used to be. I still Look, I still like it, but I used to absolutely love it. Because you knew every year, at least for three years, Michael Jordan's going to be at North Carolina, Mark Price is going to be at Georgia Tech, Ralph Sampson's going to be at Virginia, Lynn Bias is going to be at Maryland. In the Big East, you were going to have Pearl Washington and Patrick Ewing and uh, Chris Mullen and all those guys coming back at Syracuse, you know, back in the day. Uh, it was fun. And same in the in the Big Eight, the old Big Eight, 
uh, even on into the early days of the Big 12. But it seems like a lot of these sports have been corrupted, whether it's money or, or whatever or uh, agents or camps. I don't know. They just don't feel the same. Softball still seems to be pretty pure to me. What do you think, Parker? I mean, you still see the girls, the dugout cheers, all that stuff. It seems – and, look, I'm sure there are big-time softball camps too, and these prospects are heavily recruited, and uh, just like Jordy Ball for Oklahoma. But it, it still seems like softball hasn't been touched or corrupted yet to me. Well, and you, you understand why, Mike, right? It's because they're play, they're virtually playing at the highest level. Professional softball, yeah, it's a thing, but yeah, you know, it's not a big, it's not a big time deal. And so, for a lot of these girls, this is the highest level of softball they're ever going to play. This is mm-hmm. the final softball they're ever going to play. And so, yeah. they are soaking it up. And it is it. The word you used is perfect. It's pure because there's no <laughs> there's no financial incentive at play. They are strictly out there competing for the love of the game. Yeah, and uh, that that's why I, I love it. I absolutely love it. It just seems it seems old school to me in a certain way. And uh, we all love the Women's College World Series. And, look, Kenny Gajewski's done an unbelievable job at Oklahoma State as well. I mean, they're one of the top five teams in the country. Uh, Oklahoma looks like the team to beat, and they're going to be tough to beat to win the national championship. But it's, it's just fun. It's a lot of fun. And, again, uh, Patty Gasso and company today. Cal State Fullerton at 2.30, Long Beach State at 5 o'clock. And maybe Jocelyn Allo gets the uh, the record-breaking home run against Patty's alma mater, Long Beach State, coming up later today. Okay, uh, we did have the Thunder in action last night, and they did lose by 20, but there were some interesting developments in that game. Uh, the return of Shea Gilgis-Alexander looked pretty, pretty, pretty good. Shea had... A nice night coming back after uh, missing the last 10 games. 32 points, 5 assists in 35 minutes. Uh, Josh Giddy had a typical Josh Giddy game, 15 points, 9 boards, and 6 assists. Uh, but I think Poku, again, with another nice game with 13 points on 5 of 10, knocked down a 3, looked pretty good out there. And Vit Krejci, uh, you know, played 8 minutes and looked good last night, knocked down both of his 3s. In 21 minutes of play. So, Oklahoma City is right back in action tonight, taking on the Indiana Pacers on the road. That's a 6 o'clock tip tonight. Remember the Pacers again. They just made that big deal. Buddy Heald playing for the Indiana Pacers now, along with Tyrese Halliburton. They were traded uh, to Indiana, and Damana Sabonis, uh, former Thunder player, is now on that roster and playing well for Sacramento. Also, the debut of James Harden tonight for the Philadelphia 76ers as they play the Minnesota Timberwolves in Minnesota. So I don't know. That's going to be interesting to see how that pair, uh, you know, meshes, I think, Parker, James Harden, and uh, Joel Embiid. I am very very much of the opinion, Mike, that neither James Harden nor Russell Westbrook will ever be a part of a championship team in the NBA because – I just I, I don't think those guys have what it takes to play on a championship program because here here's the way I look at it. Neither of those guys are going to carry a team to a championship. They are simply not good enough. They're good, don't get me wrong. In fact, they're great. They're great basketball players. They are not the type of basketball players 
that can carry a team to a title. And so for me, I I feel like James Harden at the point is at the point in his career where he's just kind of unashamedly ring chasing. And he'd never call it that in the public eye, and he'd never admit that that's what he's doing. But there's something to be said for essentially forcing your way out of a certain situation and trying to land somewhere else. And it does it obviously doesn't have to do with money because these guys are <laughs> NBA athletes are making more money per year than just about any other professional athletes in any major American professional sports. So to me, James Harden is at the point in his career where he's ring chasing. I think Russell Westbrook has a far better chance of his ring chasing method paying off because he's teaming up with bona fide superstars, the likes of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. It's pretty clear James Harden thinks he can be that guy somewhere that lifts a team to a championship of his own volition. And well, I don't what's see weird, it. What's weird in that is you thought he had a superstar trio, though, with the Nets, right? With KD and, and Kyrie Irving. And I think Kyrie's uh, stance with the pandemic and everything maybe changed that dynamic. But think about it. Uh, last year, even with the injuries they had down the stretch, Kevin Durant, you know, hits that, and that's a three rather than a two. Maybe Milwaukee's not winning that NBA championship, right? So things could have been different. It's crazy. But I do think you're right. The the track you're going on here is they both seem to be guys that uh, they they prefer being the man or having the ball in their hands a lot, Harden and Russ. I think Russ has tried to defer and tried a different role, but he still seems to be a, a square peg trying to fit into a circle, you know? Um with the Lakers, and that, that just hasn't worked out. But I don't know. Harden and Embiid has me intrigued. But they're both uh, they're both interesting personalities, too, and we'll see if they can mesh together in Philly. They play um, at Minnesota tonight in James Harden's debut uh, with the Philadelphia 76ers. Okay, uh, we'll break right here. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got Brandon Drum coming up for his Friday appearance. He has got the latest and uh, the greatest Sooner recruiting information for you. Parker, of course, has it as well. But Brandon's out there on the road as we speak. And we'll uh, see what he has to say about what's going on with Oklahoma. New offers, new interest, all kinds of stuff happening. We'll get to it when we get back.
Yeah, we do have Brandon Drum on with us for his Friday visit. 247sportsouinsider.com, always out there, always in the know, and uh, he's out there on the road now, I believe. Brandon, uh, what would you tell us right now for Sooner fans, the the top, say, two storylines for Oklahoma and recruiting right now in terms of new offers or new interest? What are, what are a couple stories that you think are really big for Oklahoma on the recruiting trail right now? Uh. Probably the the March official or the March visits coming up on March fifth, March twenty sixth. Uh, there's going to be some sprinkled in on March twelfth and nineteenth as well. But those two big visit dates on March fifth and March twenty sixth are looking to be monumental right now, as far as Oklahoma on the recruiting trail in the twenty twenty three and twenty twenty four classes. So that would be the storyline number one. Number two. I think it's got to be just the I'm down here. I've been in Florida last week. I'm in Georgia right now, kind of going all over the state. I was just at Warner Robins where 2023 five-star defensive lineman Vic Burley hails from. And just the overall, I guess, knowledge of the OU staff down here in this region because of Venable's uh, connection with Clemson and Todd Bates and and Ted Roof and Miguel Chavis and Brandon Hall. All these guys have such strong connections down here in the southeast region that it's paying off and paying off in a big way. Now Oklahoma, what they've got to do is they've obviously got to close on these guys, but getting visits doesn't seem to be an issue, uh, whereas it was really tough for the previous staff to get kids out of the southeast region uh they started to make headway in in florida but they never could really pack a punch in the state of georgia or alabama south carolina they were hit or miss in the state of tennessee and that doesn't look to be the case anymore it looks to be hey you know oklahoma if they offer they've got a chance to land these guys and they're going to be a player with a lot of these uh, top targets so, Brandon, are you at the point where you'd be comfortable saying there might be a uh, a pipeline blooming here for the Sooners? I would say so, yeah. I mean, how could it not be? The, you, you talk to these players and these recruits and the coaches and just the level of respect that they have for the OU staff, uh, in particular Brent Venables, Todd Bates, uh, Brandon Hall, Jay Valai. I mean, it, they're just so well-respected and so well-known down here that, it, it, uh, look, I was talking to a very high, uh, very well-respected reporter down here when I was in Florida, and he's obviously going to be in Georgia as well. And I, I told him, you know, I'm kind of pessimistic about Oklahoma's chances with a lot of these kids down here. Uh, I always feel like they know that I cover Oklahoma and they're just going to talk it up. And I named a few off, and they a couple of the other reporters kind of looked over them and like, no, man, like Oklahoma's really in on these guys. And they're going to surprise and shock some people and get some guys out of Alabama that they normally wouldn't get. And they're going to get some guys out of Georgia they normally wouldn't get, and the same for Florida. So uh, I would say a Southeast Pipeline is, is brewing, and how could it not be when they're about to move over to the SEC? 
Are you with uh, with Parker on the thought that uh, Richard Young, it sounds good but probably won't happen, the number one running back in the country? Yeah. I mean, look, he, he loves DeMarco Murray. As a matter of fact, he talked with DeMarco Murray just uh, two days ago through FaceTime, and, uh, look, they hit it off. They they. He wants to get up and visit. He he understands what's going on at Oklahoma, and he has a legit interest. I actually wouldn't be shocked, and I actually kind of expect him to take an official visit if that unofficial goes well on the 5th. So as long as things pan out the way everybody kind of expects it to go, I wouldn't be shocked to see Richard Young take another official visit. Now, obviously, I think that when a kid takes an official visit, all bets are off and everything can change. So I'm not here to say that it's it's not going to happen 100%, but I would lean away from it happening. I kind of He's got a bunch of family from the state of Alabama, so I think it's going to be hard to pull him away from the Crimson Tide in the long run. If there is a surprise or what might be classified as a splash in this 2023 cycle, Brandon, give us a couple names that you feel could end up fitting the bill for Oklahoma. In 2023? Yes. Um, Derek LeBlanc, five-star D lineman out of Osceola. He's going to visit again on the 20, on the 26th, and he's going to stay another four days on his visit. He stayed four days last time. He's staying another four days. His dad's coming up with him this time. Um, I would say David David Hicks, a five-star defensive lineman out of uh, uh, Allen, Texas. I would say Anthony Hill, um, Jalen Hill, and then probably uh, Caleb Downs. I think Oklahoma has a decent shot with Caleb Downs out of the state of Georgia, five-star defensive back. And I'm not saying they're going to land him, but I'm saying they've got a chance. There's a really good shot. They're all going to take official visits to Oklahoma. They're going to take unofficial visits. Uh, and things are kind of moving into in a direction where they're not just getting visits, but they've actually got a decent chance of, you know, being a strong player in that recruitment. So that's kind of what I would lean at. Brandon Drum, our guest, 24-7 Sports, OUinsider.com. Uh, did I see Jackson Arnold tweeting out a, uh, a photo trying to get uh, who's the kid who's committed to Notre Dame that he was pictured with? Um, Pey- Peyton Bowen. Yeah, yeah. What do you, yeah. Is, there any, is there any shot there for Oklahoma? Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't be shocked if he took another unofficial visit to Oklahoma in the month of March. And I wouldn't be shocked if he took an official in the law in the in the grand scheme of things in April, May, or June, July, whatever whatever time he can get there to to take an official. I think that's one of the one of the recruitments where Oklahoma's just going to have to keep you know punching it, kind of soften them up, soften them up, soften them up, because he seems pretty locked into Notre Dame, but at the same time, his teammate and best friend is you know. Uh, committed to Oklahoma and that's his quarterback you know so at Denton Geyer so I I think that's a they have a shot I, I know Notre Dame's pretty confident they can keep him we'll see where that that pans out but if he takes an official visit and takes another unofficial to Oklahoma I think you can kind of see the writing on the wall that 
this thing could kind of get pretty heated as National Signing Day closes in. Uh, Look, I'm I'm telling everybody, Jackson Arnold has got connections across the country because four-star defensive lineman out of North Gwinnett High School, Caden McDonald and him played Little League together. And Caden McDonald is, his family's from Arkansas originally, moved to North Gwinnett, uh, grew up there. Jackson Arnold moved several years ago to the Denton area, I guess because his dad got a job. But another strong connection, another guy that I think Oklahoma has a really good shot at landing and one of the better defensive linemen in the country. So you're starting to kind of see a theme here. Todd Bates has changed some things as far as defensive line recruiting goes for Oklahoma. Now they've got to close, though. It's great to get all these top kids in on campus, but they've got to close it out. Okay, Brandon, got to ask you, since you're down in the Peach State right now, any semblance of an update on the LT Overton situation? Uh, I, I missed you. What did you say? I said any any semblance of an update on the LT Overton situation or any change in the feelings there. I think you broke up a little bit, man. Hold on just a second. You're what did you say? No, you're good. I was okay, asking. I got, I got you now. Okay. I my my question was: Is there any semblance of an update on the LT Overton situation or any change in the feelings there? Uh, you know, uh, look. There's people that tell me Oklahoma could be that surprise team. Don't be shocked if he ends up in Norman. I, I just, I don't. I'm a pessimistic guy, and I don't like to get everybody's hopes up. So. If I'm an Oklahoma fan, I look at it as, look, the kid grew up in College Station. He loves Texas A&M. His dad worked there for a long time. Obviously, he played with Cal Gundy. They have a strong relationship with the Oklahoma staff as well. But there's that Georgia aspect. There's Oregon. There's uh, there's Texas A&M. There's a lot that Oklahoma is going to have to fight through. We know that OU offered his brother – and they're the only ones that have done that. A lot of the other teams may have some numbers issues. Oklahoma doesn't have that right now, so they can they can take his brother and it not be an issue. Is that going to be what tips the scales for Oklahoma? And I hate to keep saying it over and over, the official visits that Overton takes with his brother are going to be very telling. I think we're going to have a better sense of where things sit with him after they start rolling out the official visits because you're going to kind of start hearing the buzz here or there, you know, where they're leaning one way or the other. I tend to still think A&M would probably be my bet, but I think Oklahoma's right there, and they're like nipping at the heels. And I think the official visit, we don't know the date that, that that's going to happen just yet. But when it does, I think things can change, and it can change very quickly. Brandon, we appreciate your time as usual. Thank you. We'll talk again next Friday. All right. Thank you, guys. Brandon Drum joining us, 247sportsouinsider.com. So it sounds like uh, on Young and Overton maybe, would you consider Parker, I guess, Young the bigger long shot of the two, but maybe Overton is going to be really tough to close? I, I am cautiously optimistic with Overton. I think Oklahoma has a legitimate shot there. I don't think at this time Oklahoma has a legitimate shot for Richard Young. And, again, that could change. But as of right now, while I might be – let's put it this way. If I went to Vegas with 20 bucks in my pocket, 
Mike, I'm putting all 20 of those dollars on Lebius Overton to OU over Richard Young to OU. Yeah, and the fact that Overton has uh, has a history, uh, the family obviously at OU certainly would uh, lead you to believe that would be the case as well. All right, let's take a break right here. It is uh, our final break. Don't forget you've got Locked In coming up with uh, Parker and Tyler McComas at the top of the hour. A little wolf mother taking us into the timeout. We'll come back. Some final sports notes for you here on this Friday right here on Steelman and Thune on the home of the Sooner fan, the Ref Radio Network.
It is almost here, everybody. I, I still, that's one of my favorite Twitter accounts was, is uh, Daniel Craig introducing the weekend on SNL. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. So good. So good. And uh, we've got Bedlam basketball tomorrow at 11 a.m. Uh, in terms of the Sooners. Winning tomorrow morning, Parker, what percentage chance? I'm going to go 60% for Oklahoma. I'm confident. I'll say 70%. I think Porter Moser and the boys are going to come out motivated to snap that losing skid against the Cowboys and also to keep their tournament hopes alive. So I feel good. Yeah, and uh, again, there's so much work for Oklahoma to get done. Uh, I don't think Parker and I both Parker and I both said that we we don't think Oklahoma's getting there right now. There's just too much of a hurdle to clear. But at least there would be a hurdle. There there are some hurdles still in front of you, you know. And uh, if you knock this one over and you can't go over it, then that's that's it. I mean, I really think you pull the plug tomorrow. Um, if you can't get that win. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we will see what happens. Uh, does Baylor beat KU and Waco Saturday night? Uh, that's a toss-up. I I would say so. I think Baylor gets it done on their home floor. Now, again, a- a- every game is a toss-up in the Big 12. We're going to get to tournament time here in a couple of weeks, and like we were talking about with Caden earlier in the show, Anybody is going to be able to take home the crown in the Big 12. It's going to come down to who starts playing their best basketball in the month of March. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think a lot of us feel like Tech maybe is playing is as better than anybody else right now just in terms of the way they're playing. But keep in mind, KU still has a game-and-a-half lead in the league for uh, for one of the regular seasons. So we'll see. Um uh, Baylor again at home against Kansas. That is a 7 o'clock tip uh, tomorrow night in Waco. So there you go. It should be fun uh, to see what happens tomorrow. And, again, I think it's cool, again, the OU women's game tomorrow against Kansas State at 4 o'clock. They will be honoring the 2002 team that went to the Final Four, the final game, didn't win the national championship. But, uh, you know, uh, just a great season for Sherry Cole and company. Stacy Dales leading the way. They only lost two games. They finished number two in the country uh, that year. So they will be honored at halftime tomorrow uh, for the Sooner women's game against Kansas State. And, you know, Sherry did an unbelievable job. Maybe hung on a little bit too long, but uh, Jenny Baranchek has come on. Uh, she's done an incredible job for OU. I know they had a three-game losing streak here recently. They snapped it with a big win uh, over TCU, a dominating performance uh, Wednesday night, and uh, they're favored to take down uh, Kansas State. Who's the, uh, the, the, the big girl inside scored, what was it, 61? Ioka Lee. Ioka Lee, yes, man. I, I would say guard her with maybe everybody on the floor. It, who knows? Maybe you maybe you guard the player with the basketball and send the other four players around Ioka Lee. That was amazing. Uh, so we'll see if the Sooners can uh, get that done in that matchup tomorrow at 4 o'clock. So that's a big day. And you've got, again, LNC is going to be busy tomorrow with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, 11 uh, a.m. on CBS 
and uh, then the OU women at 4 o'clock. Uh, last second, Steely, who is your favorite all-time college basketball announcing team? Hmm. Ron, thank you. Last second one right out of the left field there. Uh, I'm going to go with Dick Enberg, uh, Billy Packer, and Al McGuire. That's who I grew up with. They called the uh, 79 uh, Bird Magic Michigan State Indiana State game there in Salt Lake City, which was uh, unbelievable. So I would go with the NBC crew, that crew, NBC crew of, uh, uh, again, Billy Packer, Al McGuire, and Dick Enberg back in the day. A lot of times some of these favorite announcers that we have are, uh, you know, things that we grew up with. Uh, I still think I, I rep more of my music from my childhood than any other. You know, I like 90s alternative and stuff, but I'll still go back to the 70s because we really have uh, such nostalgia for things we grew up with, and that's the announcing team that I grew up with uh, back in the day for college basketball. All right, we got locked in. Coming up next, Parker, have a great weekend. We will talk to you guys on Monday. Take care, everybody.
Let's start with a little national college football talk today. And I want to lead off with the team that just most recently won the national championship. The Georgia Bulldogs went forever before they finally won a title, got one this year. And my question, Parker, is are they going to capitalize on it or not? Because if they do, I, I think that that really impacts Oklahoma. Is Georgia going to be the new Clemson and use this national championship to maybe win another one? Or is Georgia going to be like LSU, win one, stink for two years, okay for another year, and then finally after four or five years vault themselves in contention for another national championship? I, I think when we look across the country, we're going to factor in that Alabama is going to be elite until Nick Saban retires, but what Georgia's able to do here in the next three years, I, I think it's going to be pretty interesting. Particularly with Oklahoma poised to make the move to the SEC, yes. And I would lean more towards Georgia being the next Clemson than the next LSU. I don't get the sense that this is a flash in the pan because, I mean, look, if you look at the last five years, their national championship season this past year wasn't a flash in the pan to begin with either. They've been there. They played in the national championship game in 2017. Should have won, Should've won been, that game, man. They've been a double-digit win team for, what, six, seven consecutive years now? And so, no, this is a program that, especially under Kirby Smart, has some legitimate promise going forward. And it all comes down to how many of those recruiting battles they're able to win against Oklahoma and against Alabama. Because I think what we're seeing is that Oklahoma's poised to become a real threat. And, you know, Steely and I were talking to Brandon Drum about it towards the latter half of the 1 o'clock hour. Oklahoma's poised to be a legitimate threat to Oak or to uh, Alabama and to Georgia for those elite prospects in the Southeast. And, you know, Florida will get one every now and again, LSU, Miami, those types of schools are get one every now and again. But for the most part, Alabama and Georgia are vying for the tip of the top. And if Oklahoma can firmly establish itself as a contender alongside those two programs in some of those recruiting battles, then you're confident that OU can jump into the SEC and go toe-to-toe with those programs if not, man, Georgia could be on a trajectory here in the next few years where they're actually maybe the one program across the nation that will be able to put together the sort of dynastic sure. success that Alabama's had. Yeah, because they're not they're not slowing down recruiting um, anytime. I mean, OU's going to get some guys in the Southeast, but there's so many dudes in the Southeast, so many guys from the state of Georgia that they'll they'll be okay. They're, they're going to have to improve quarterback play. They're they're, they're going to have to be better. I think offensively, I I think so, because defensively, will they have another defense to the level that they had this year? Yeah, maybe so, but it also took Alabama losing its top two wide receivers to be able to win that national championship game, you know? So I, I do think that Georgia is going to need to make strides. If they're going to be a dynasty, if they're going to form into that, I think they got to make strides offensively if they're going to turn into that type of program that we're talking about. Oh, you know what time it is, ladies and gents. Brock Vandegrift season. Oh, God. Don't do that. Don't uh, do that I guess, to I guess they fans. got Stetson Bennett for one more year, but after that, it's probably Gunnar Stockton. I don't think Brock Vandegrift ever plays a meaningful down there. No, I'm actually... Well, I, you got the whole spring to go here. I'd be pretty surprised if he's still hanging out at Georgia after the spring. I, I really would be. Now, JT Daniels has left the program, um, but the writing's on the wall, I would think, for Brock Vandegrift. The way that you talk, it's, um, you know, Georgia's not even so secretive as to how they feel about Brock Vandegrift. I, 
<laughs> I got a feeling that if you know that, you got to hit the portal at some point, try to find another spot to play. I mean, look, the way it's all lining up to me, 2022 would kind of have been Brock Vandegrift's window where he could have really set himself apart in that quarterback room. If Stetson Bennett had not elected to come back, well, then honestly, JT Daniels might have stuck around. But since Stetson Bennett is back, that gives Gunnar Stockton a year to learn the playbook and be able uh, to put himself on the same footing as Brock Vandegrift in that quarterback competition come 2023. And I don't see any way that Vandegrift outduels Gunnar Stockton for that role. Yeah. So it's one of the bigger storylines of college football. How is Georgia? Did Georgia build a team or has Georgia built a program? I tend to side with you. I don't think that this is the last national championship that Kirby Smart is is going to win, but there's definitely a history of teams winning a title and not capitalizing. Auburn in 2010 did not really capitalize off that national championship with Cam. The fire of their head coach, what, less than two years after that natty? Uh, you look at Florida State in 2013, didn't really capitalize off that. They are a joke of a program today. LSU has not capitalized. Ed Ogeron's already fired. The only schools that have really capitalized here in the past 15 years or so, um, I guess you got to say Ohio State, but they haven't won a title since. Clemson and Alabama, yep. and especially Alabama, after they got that title in 09, uh, the program has gotten better and better and better. So where will Georgia fall in that? If I had to pick a side, I'd... I don't think Georgia's going to, you know, roll off six natties, but I, again, I, I think that no, they'll win no, one. Texas A and M going to get at least a couple. Yeah, well, A and M's over under is five and a half national championships <laughs> right now. I mean, come on. Oh man, that new SEC. The more and more you think about it, the more you're just like, how on earth is anybody not in the SEC going to win a national title from here on out? Because <sighs> it's so loaded. It's like it we is. make jokes about A and M, but still. That's a program that year to year is going to be able to probably win double digit games, and they at that point that might make them the fifth or sixth best program in the SEC. Yeah, well, I, I would say that Bama is a massive favorite going into next year, and as we sit today, I'll be pretty surprised if Alabama doesn't win the national championship with Bryce Young back, and it'll be the pissed off Nick Saban revenge tour we know how that yeah, goes. I was about to say Nick Saban revenge tour is not something yeah. you want to get in the way of yeah um they'll they'll that defense next year the guys that they have coming off the edge that will not be fun I think Georgia will probably win the east again but ultimately fall short to to Alabama next year they're a massive favorite I am interested to see kind of what the narrative could be in a year's time Ryan Day lost to Michigan for the first time in a long time Michigan won the Big Ten for the first time in a long time. Michigan made the college football playoff for the first time. What's the narrative if Michigan is able to win that division again, win the, win the Big Ten again? And I, you're shaking your head. I don't think so yeah, either. <laughs> I, I think Ohio State's going to be back in a big way. I think Ohio State and Alabama are going to play in the national championship. But if Ryan Day doesn't do that, I wonder if Buckeye fans really start to sour on him as the head coach if they fall short. Because as much of a favorite as Bama is in the SEC, I think Ohio State is equally that big of a favorite in the Big Ten. I don't know that Ohio State fans will start to sour on Ryan Day. Uh, I think as long as he's winning 12, 13 games a year, there's always going to be that perpetual percolating optimism, right, that next year is the year where they get over the hump. Kind of like the cycle that Oklahoma fans were in throughout the 2000s with Bob Stoops. And so uh, as far – and you want to talk about a flash in the pan – 
That's going to be Michigan going to the college uh, football playoff in the sure. year 2021. I mean, Jim Harbaugh was trying to leave for a reason. He knows that that was as good as it gets in Ann Arbor. Exactly. As good as it gets. I, gosh, I I wonder what kind of questions Jim Harbaugh is fielding right now from recruits. Because, like, if I'm getting recruited by Michigan, I would love to sit across the table from Jim Harbaugh and be like, so, um, what was that? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, what was that? Yeah. It's the best season that Michigan's had in a very, very long time, and you were actively trying to leave, and the only reason that you didn't leave is it sounds like the Vikings were like, yeah, we're actually going to go in a little bit of a different direction here. But back to the original point, Georgia becoming a power, and I, I mean, you can make an argument that the second or the third best program right now it definitely, it definitely impacts OU for sure. If OU is going to the SEC, which we know it's going to be tougher, but I think we're probably going to be talking about a situation where OU is going into the SEC, and the SEC has the best conference or the best team in America, Alabama, and the second best program in America, Georgia. So it's, it, it'll be an issue, and whether you play those two teams every year or not, um, I understand, but it's, that's, that's the road you're going to be going up against for sure. Man, I, going back to Michigan, too, I don't know if over the next five years there will be any one season where Michigan is the best football team in its own state. Because I think I Mel, really T- like Mel, Mel Tucker, Tucker and Michigan State, they're poised to be a pretty dang good program in the Big Ten. Need well. to find a big-time quarterback, but yes. Michigan State's had good quarterback play in the past. It's not like it's it's never happened before. Connor Cook was a nice player there. Kirk Cousins was a nice player there. They, they've had dudes that could play, and it's not like they need a superstar either. Yeah, but quarterback play has been what's hampered them over the last five. When you're talking about guys like Rocky Lombardi and Brian Lewerke, yeah. it's no wonder this team hasn't been back to the college football playoffs since their lone appearance in 2015. If they can find that guy, though, Michigan State's. I, I love the way that Mel Tucker has built that program. And they've signed him to a long extension during the offseason. So let's see if he's in East Lansing for the for the long haul or not. I tell you what, my my boy Josh Pate is convinced that it is not at all out of the question Michigan State wins a national title in the next decade. Yeah, I saw I'm that clip sure I, and I'm, I'm like, sure I, I, I don't know, Josh. I love but, you. I love you, dude. I'm a, I'm a big time uh, supporter of Pate State. But I can't get on the Michigan State's going to win a title train anytime soon. You um, You mentioned Texas earlier and it kind of sparked a thought for me, is, yeah, OU is going to... Maybe you didn't even mention Texas. I think you mentioned Southeast recruiting, and it, and it sparked a thought. I think that OU is going to be, or already is, in a better position to take recruits away from the Southeast than what Texas is. Now, maybe Texas won't put the priority on the state of Florida, on the Southeast, that OU is going to, but... When we look up in five years, and this doesn't have to necessarily mean that OU out-recruits Texas every single year, but if we want to judge Florida and that area of the country, I, I do think OU is going to make a bigger impact with the new SEC ties than, than Texas is going to. Well, and you know what Texas is going to try to do the second and they're, they're in the SEC, right? They're going to try to build the wall. They're going to try to make sure that no elite prospect in the Lone Star State ends up leaving the Lone Star State because at that point – when they're in the SEC and in the same division as Texas A&M, they can claim superiority over the Axe. They can, and it'll work. It'll work. Texas A&M is not going to have much of a leg to stand on recruiting-wise unless in the next two to three years they make a run to the college football playoff. Yeah. 
when we talk about programs or head coaches that have a ton of pressure on them, uh, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. Like, you're right, man. The next 10 years of their program, like the next two years really sets the table for the future of Texas A&M football. If they don't capitalize, and not that we expect Texas to go 10-2, and two, but Texas doesn't necessarily have to go 10-2 and two to claim superiority over A&M. And that's the point. They are still the flagship university of the state. And now with the conference ties being equal, A&M's going to have a tough time overcoming that. And let's not act like uh, OU's going to struggle in the state of Texas here moving no, forward. No, they will not. But the brand at the University of Texas means something in the Lone Star State. And I know Texas has kind of become a running joke nationally, but... The burnt orange, that still carries a lot of weight in the eyes of many elite prospects that grow up in the state of Texas, and that's why you see Texas recruit very well in state every single year, despite the fact that they're going seven and five and five and seven. Five and seven losing to Kansas, and they still had the 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 best recruiting class in the Big Twelve this year. And what did they 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 finished top? Yeah, they finished top eight. Yeah, I mean, come on. Five and seven this year. Lost to Kansas at home. They were a joke again this season. Uh, yeah, well, they'll, they'll still recruit at a high level, but it won't turn into any wins. That's the, that's the good thing about it. That culture is in shambles down there on the 40 Eagles. Yeah, Acres. we we saw I mean, we saw that on the uh, bus leaving Ames, Iowa, with that video that surfaced on Twitter. And, you remember that? And believe me, it's not getting any better. <laughs> let's let's hope not. Air Cover Solutions text line 405-651-3439. Hit us up. It's a Friday. Recruiting questions, team questions, whatever you got, send them our way. We'll hit them on the other side and more. More to come next, right here on Locked In. We're the homeless Sooner fans.
Chapel Supply bringing you this hour of Locked In. Chapel Supplies you. Tyler McComas, Parker Thune inside the Brian O'Haver Studios. The lock emoji is really catching on. It's catching on on social media. It's really, our show is named after it. Yeah, our show's named after it. Um, it's really a big thing in my household. When my uh, wife is out and securing new clients, she is uh, turned into a habit of tweet or uh, texting me just the lock emoji when she gets a new client. She got another one today. Proud of her. She's killing it right now, but I have to laugh every time she just sends the lock emoji. It's like, oh yeah, she just she just got someone else. Nice job. And can we all admit that the lock emoji is so much cooler than the eyeball emojis? I mean, it's not even close. Yes, it is way cooler. And the best I think- It's it's Kobe McKenzie that we have to thank for that, don't we? Wasn't he the first one to use it? Or was Joe Castiglione the first one to use it? I feel Joe C tweeted it out. You're right. When he was on the plane, you know? It was Joe C. So Brent Venables, I don't know if in the long run he'll get credit for it or or who, but it was Joe C that sent it out at first, and it really caught on. It was, yes, because for. For the faults that Muleshoe had, and uh, we'll be quick to point out all of those flaws on this uh, here radio show, the one cool thing that he did is the eyeball emojis. It was. It was it was new. It was fun. Like, everyone got involved in that and got excited about it. So that was the only thing. Once the Brent Vittables hire was made, it was like, oh, my God, this is just so much. This is so much better. I love the direction of the program. The only thing that you were even halfway sad about is losing the eyeball emojis, but now you've got a new emoji, the lock emoji. And I think everyone's like, uh, all right, yeah, we're we're all good here. Uh, Everything is better, regardless of what the national media members think, which we have a couple more punks out there today trying um, trying to tell OU fans how to think or trying to accurately describe how OU fans feel. Like, dude, you're not around here. You're not talking to anybody in the program. You're not associating yourself with any of the fans. Like, don't tell us how to react, and don't tell us how we feel, by the way. We know how we feel. We all feel the same. That's really getting on my nerves that national media members think they know what OU fans are thinking right now. No, you don't. You, you actually you have no idea how fans are thinking here. Yeah, by the way, uh, Josh Pate, friend of the program or enemy of the program because he just ranked Lincoln Riley to USC as the number one new head coaching hire. And uh, BV's number five. Number five, wow. Mm-hmm. So what, Billy Napier, Brian Kelly – Mario Cristobal. I don't. I would, I would guess. In what world? I understand that he's the winningest head coach in Notre Dame history. I I understand that. I just don't know how you can rank Brian Kelly in front of, um, especially with all the weird things that he's already done. Yeah, Brian Baton Kelly Rouge. deserves to be dropped down the rankings strictly for the sake of the TikTok dances and the fake Southern accent that he tried to throw out. I mean, Brent Venables goes into the arena. And pumps everyone up. Everyone's going nuts. And Brian Kelly acts. I I, I don't know. I, I don't. I, I respect Josh Pate. I think he does one heck of a job. He's one of my favorite national guys out there. But ranking Brian Kelly um, in front of in front of Brent Venables, man, I I'm, I'm not I, about. that. I have less of an issue with Kelly getting ranked above Venables as I do with Mario Cristobal. That one's just pretty because bad like I I understand right. He's going back to his home turf. And in any situation like that, there's a ton of optimism that a coach of his status is going to be the guy to resurrect a dormant program, which Miami is. 
Let's not get it twisted. They've won double-digit games once in the last 18 years. So I understand the uh, hope springs eternal type of mentality and Mario Cristobal being the guy to bring Miami back. But when you compare his resume to Brent Venables, I don't understand how it's how, how there is a comparison there. Brent Venables and Brent Venables championship. Yeah, games. and Brent Venables is also uh, he's also got the uh, whole homecoming thing working for him too. So, in what world Brent Venables is a worse hire than Mario Cristobal? I don't know. Well, OU fans, look, you never need a real excuse to root against Miami. It, I mean, it doesn't matter the situation. That's pretty easy to do. But I think it's best if Miami stays down, if Florida State stays down, if Florida just kind of stays at a you know hit-or-miss type of program on a year-in, year-out. Because I think in the past, OU's really benefited off SC being down, UCLA being down, the Pac-12 being bad for California recruiting. And I know we talk a lot about Florida recruiting on the show, but I think it's very big and where OU's trying to get in the future. The more that Miami's down, the more that Florida's kind of in the weeds, the more that Florida State's an embarrassment the easier time that OU is going to have in the Sunshine State. And I, I realize that Georgia's there and Bama's there and a lot of other programs are there, but you need the schools in those states to, to be down as well. That, that'll make life easier for OU. You know what's interesting is you look at Oklahoma's offers under Brent Venables since he and his staff got into place. They're basically recruiting guys. Like, sure, they're recruiting Oklahoma and Texas and Kansas as well. All the other offers are east of the Mississippi River. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't looked westward hardly at all. Yeah, they Josh have... Bates is going to be like the only guy on uh, I mean, the only guy west of the. Uh, yeah, Rockies. and he was already committed too. Like, I, and nothing against Josh Bates, but is this new staff actively recruiting him if he's not already committed to OU when they Maybe get there? Maybe not. That's tough to say. They have one. They have one offer in Oregon. They have one offer in Arizona, and I think that's it. I think every other offer that they've made is either in that uh, corridor, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, or it's east of the Mississippi River. Yeah, I mean, they, they have a real plan. And and it's not – we keep saying, or at least I keep saying, that if you're going to win a national championship, you got to get kids from the southeast. I think that they've identified that, but it's more about – that's where their connections are. right? I mean, Britt Vittables has been in that area of the country for a while now. Uh, Todd Bates, that's he, he's got a lot of connections down there. It's you know it's something that we really overlooked, Parker, in terms of this hiring. But now that the staff is in place, it's oh wow. Um, I was just hiring Britt Vittables because I thought he was going to bring the right mentality back to the program. I didn't necessarily think about the recruiting ties that he has in the most talent rich area of the country. I'm sure Joe C thought about that. That's why he's the man. But it took a little bit to say, oh, okay, look, all these guys right here, dang, you are in in these areas that you want to be in. Yeah, and isn't it kind of a middle finger to Muleshoe and his staff at, out at USC that Oklahoma isn't even looking to the West at all? They're like, you know what? You you do your thing. You do your thing. We're going to the SEC. We're going to recruit the Midwest heavy. We're going to recruit the Southeast heavy. We don't need any of the talent out there on the West Coast. Yeah. And we'll be better off than you. <laughs> not, not, I love it, man. I think it's uh, I think it's fantastic. Now OU did get uh, a nice San Diego product this year in the recruiting class, but uh, but yeah, we'll see how much they how much they look west in the coming years. If if a kid's out of Bishop Gorman though, 
I'm going to guess that OU is going to be in on that. Well, yeah, that's kind of the connection. That is the one area, Las Vegas, where Oklahoma is probably going to maintain some strong recruiting relationships because that is DeMarco Murray's territory. Yeah, he's got to be, got to be the most famous alum of Gorman. And it is a, it's a powerhouse for sure. They, they, they churn out athletes every single year, but I don't know. If they've ever turned out someone like the likes of uh, DeMarco Murray. No, they haven't. And the thing about it is every young football player that grows up in the city of Las Vegas or around the city of Las Vegas knows exactly who DeMarco Murray is. Mm -hmm. As they should, man. As they should. That's one of the many reasons why that was a uh, one heck of a hire, even by the uh, previous staff. It's 2.30, which means the pursuit... Of home run number 96 for Jocelyn Allo. Oh, it's on. It's, uh, I don't know if they're the home or the away team. I, they, they're playing Cal State Fullerton. So we're going to keep you updated on the home run chase because, surprise, surprise, it's not on TV. Well, it's on Flow Softball, which you have to pay 30 bucks a month for, and the broadcast isn't all that great. So, yeah, OU Softball, we'll keep tabs on that. And, of course, your text as well. Air, Air Comfort Solutions uh, text line. 405-651-3439. Locked in on a Friday in studio. More to come next right here on the Homeless Sooner Fans.
Chapel Supply, bringing you this hour of Locked In. Chapel Supply is you with the tools to tackle any power washing job, residential or commercial. They can also service all brands of power washers. Let Chapel Supply you with the career. Apply online today at chapelsupply.com. Come let Chapel Supply you, located at 6509 West Reno Avenue in Oklahoma City. Parker will not be making the trek to Tulsa this weekend. Will he be in Dallas? Will he be at the basketball game tomorrow? It's really anybody's guess at this point. Uh, are you leaning one way or the other on uh, where you're going to be this weekend? I'm getting antsy, man. Like I feel like I need mm-hmm. to get out of town and go see some dudes. So that might be what I end up doing. But worst mm-hmm. comes to worst, I'll be back on the road next weekend. So uh, it is what it is. What's going so- on in uh, DFW this weekend? Well, and nothing. <laughs> oh, I thought I thought you were gonna um, go down and see some uh, some some players. Yeah, I'm, I may make the rounds. Uh, just go to schools and stuff. But uh, apparently, all the events down there have gotten canceled, just like they have up here. Mm-hmm. So, snow and ice wreaking havoc on the off season. It feels like it takes a lot less snow and ice to wreak havoc in Dallas than it oh, does I know. up in this area, man. I know. Mm-hmm. I tell you, what, I I have a buddy that uh, went to college in Minnesota. And the story he tells all the time is, especially whenever there's weather like this, is, man, on my college campus, there was a lake that would freeze over every single winter, and people would park their cars on it. That's nuts, Like, we would man. drive our cars oh out gosh. on the ice and leave them there. That's just, that's a different vibe, man. There's no, my car, there's no way, dude. There's no way. I don't I I don't care. Like there is no peace of mind to me in parking your car on a lake. Yeah, I'm that's with frozen you on that. I don't know whether I would have the gumption to uh, actually do that. There's no way, man. No way. Hey, what do we got on the uh, Air Comfort Solutions text line? So apparently OU and USC have the same odds to win the national title next year? Yeah, I, I well FanDuel just released odds a couple days ago, and I cannot remember if OU and SC have the same national championship odds. Look, I don't think I don't think either team's going to win the national championship. I, I don't. But who has a better chance? Come on, it's it's OU. OU with a better coaching staff. Um, USC with a four and eight team last year. Again, I don't think any team, either team, is going to win the championship. I wouldn't put money on either one of them. But to think that they have the the same odds. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Has there ever been a program go from a four and eight season to a national title before? That's what I would love to know. I'm sure. I'm sure <sighs> something along those lines has happened in recent memory, though. Like, let me I, see what Auburn was in 2009. OU was seven and five, of course, in '99 before they got theirs. Bama uh-huh. was good the year before they got theirs. Um, let's see. LSU won the Fiesta Bowl the year before they won it in 2019. Auburn in 2019 was eight and five, so four and eight. Man, I can't really think of anyone that's that's done that in recent memory. I also cannot fathom USC's national title odds being higher than Notre Dame's. Notre Dame at plus four thousand. That might actually be one you put some money down on. Well, here, yeah, here's the thing: USC's odds higher than Notre Dame's. Notre Dame will be a favorite when the two teams play, and I would argue probably a double-digit favorite. Yeah, especially if the game is in South Bend this year. And I can't remember if it is. I feel like it might be in L.A. Uh, so this I, season. help me understand here, Tyler. What is the infatuation with Clemson? Because they are plus 1,200. Only Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State have better national title odds than Clemson. And they lost both of their coordinators. 
Yeah, it's just the name. And they weren't that good in 2021 as it, it is. It's just the name. Um, Clemson, I think they got a chance to go to the college football playoff because the ACC is so weak, but Clemson is not Clemson's not ready to win a national championship next year, and I'm not sure they ever will be again under Dabo. Yeah, that's – look, man, I, I, I'm not putting money on anyone outside Alabama or Ohio, or Ohio State next year. And really, probably I'm not putting money on anyone outside Alabama. But I'm with you. I don't get – Clemson's had recent success, but they're about to take a bit of a of a step back. Man, Vegas is about to make so much free money on people betting Clemson plus 1,200 to win the national title. Because, like, do you remember how bad DJ Uyunglele was last year? Remember right? how bad their offensive line was too, man. Like, you think those problems are going to solve themselves overnight minus Brent Venables and Tony Elliott? Because I don't. No. Again, in the ACC's week, and I – Think that they'll roll through it that next year and probably make the college football playoff. I think that'll probably happen, but there's you got to win two back-to-back games against the best teams in the country. Bama would punk Clemson if they played next year. Punk them. Hey, OU might be better than Clemson next year. I don't think that's crazy to say. Kendall wants to know if he can tweet out the lock emoji every time he gets a new follower on social media. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. I don't know how often that happens, but, uh, I mean, why not? I say lock it up. Tweet it out as much as possible. Whatever happened to uh, Tyson Pumachon, DJ Ungalale's backup there? Where did he end up? I know he entered the transfer portal. I have no idea where he I don't he think he's up. actually landed anywhere. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. He, yeah, that's... That is a that's an interesting situation. It's really an interesting situation at Clemson. If they don't make the playoff this year, they're really going to kind of lose the credibility that they still have a little bit as one of the top programs in the country. You know, like some might still put them in that upper tier. Last year was a big step back. If they don't make the playoff, or if they do make the playoff and they get blown off the field, um, Clemson the day in the sun could be could be over for them. Could I really be over. I think in the absence of Brent Venables, you were going to see that program take a major hit because I don't think people understand how much Brent Venables meant to Clemson. Clemson is not a two-time national championship team over the last decade without Brent Venables. Because not only was he the linchpin in terms of that program's ability to play elite defense, but he also he ran Clemson's recruiting efforts. Yeah, he was the ace in the hole. Now, Todd Bates was really good, and that's well-documented. Clemson's best two recruiters now are off off the staff. Not and not only that, Parker probably took along some real up and comers that were about to do some nice things. Miguel Chavis being one of those guys, like that that staff is not nearly as good as it was, you know, four months ago during the season. That they had a really good staff, and clearly they did. They won a couple national championships, but a lot of the best parts of that staff are are now in Norman. That's that's a big deal. It's hard to you, you can't you can replace coordinators. Nick Saban's done it many a times. An OC leaves for a college job or a defensive coordinator goes to Georgia. You can replace coordinators. You can't replace Brent Venables. There's not another Brent Venables as a defensive coordinator out there. No, and here's the thing about it. Nick Saban is the straw that stirs the drink at Alabama. Yeah. I don't know if you can say the same for Dabo Sweeney at Clemson. And I think the world of Dabo Sweeney is a football coach, but 
I don't think he's got the type of star power that Nick Saban does where whoever he throws in as his OC in D.C., he's going to be able to have a college football playoff team year in and year out. Yeah, totally. I don't think he's on that level. Uh, Peyton, via the Air Comfort Solutions text line, says, My brother moved up to Minnesota a couple years ago, and I went up this winter, and we went ice fishing. I'm not exaggerating when I say there were close to 750 trucks and ice shacks on this lake for a fishing tournament. They had snow-plowed roads on the ice for people. Craziest thing I've ever experienced. Pulled up my maps, and I was in the center of the lake. Ice was 18 inches deep. Jeez. I I get that it's a way of life there, and that's great. I'm glad that they figured that out. But me being an Oki down here, I just... I would panic a little bit leaving my car with a bunch of other cars on the ice cuz that bad boy breaks through you're not you're not getting you're not getting that one back. No, you got, you got to be real <laughs> confident that that's that ice it. isn't going anywhere. That that's that's it for that ride, man. <sighs> well, Hey, more power to him. I'm, I'm sure that they're parking them on the ice up there right now with the weather that's I've going on. I've seen too many of those movie scenes where the ice cracks in one place and then all of a sudden the entire lake is well, to be fair, our parking lot here at the station is just like a big, giant ice skating rink at this point. That's I, I'm very convi- true. I'm convinced you could ice skate in our parking lot right now. It is like completely just frozen over. In the- I don't doubt that. It's a weird phenomenon because like the snow is just frozen over. Too. That, that is something I, I don't know that I've seen before. <laughs> it's, it's odd. I believe that Jocelyn Allo, she uh, popped up. In her first at bat of the day, so mm, swinging T- for the fences though. T- Uppercuts. T R A Jennings led off the game with a solo opposite field home run. So OU's up one nothing, uh, headed to the bottom of the first inning against Cal State Fullerton. But no home run just yet from Jossie. But I do think it's going to happen today. Sooners play a doubleheader. Uh, this one against Cal State Fullerton, Long Beach State tonight at 5 o'clock out there in the Mary Nutter Classic. Obviously, it's not going to happen, but what if she just gets like a major case of the yips and doesn't oh hit the gosh. home run for like three months? Well, that's well, that's kind of what I was worried about a little bit because Patty, during her Zoom earlier this week, I don't know if you listened to it or not, but the the ball that she hit in Houston, it went down that storm drain and they don't they don't know what happened to it. Like they were trying to get players out there behind the wall before she got up to the plate and before they could, you know, get out there past the wall, there was a home run. I, I guess they, they still can't find the the ball that tied the record. So sounds like every single at bat that Jocelyn's up, they're going to put players or personnel from OU, like whoever is out there behind the wall to try to retrieve the record breaking home run ball, which mm. which makes sense. But Jocelyn knows that. I mean, she'll be seeing that standing there outside the wall. Everyone's, like, watching that. There's an incredible, an incredible amount of pressure every time she steps to the plate. And that's kind of something that even I forgot about a little bit is just how how hard it is to hit a home run, but especially how hard it is to hit a home run when everybody's watching you saying, like, all right, break the record here. We've got people behind the fence. We've got cameras on you. We've got everything ready. We've done our part. Now just hit the home run. I know she's hit 95 in her career. She's hit a lot, but this might go down as one of the toughest home runs she's ever hit before with all the pressure. No doubt. One more text via the Air Comfort Solutions text line. Currently listening to you all in Minneapolis, they only close the public schools up here when the temperature is negative 35 Woo! or worse. I've never felt 35 below zero. I haven't either. The worst I've ever felt it was uh, we went up. My grandparents at the time lived in Bismarck, North Dakota. Oh, man. And mm-hmm. it was Christmas, I want to say, 2013. And we went up there. 
We made the drive up from Nebraska to North Dakota. And when I stepped out of the car in Bismarck, it was 23 degrees below zero. I mean, it hurt to breathe, Tyler. It's one of those things where you're just like, I don't know how anyone steps outside in this. Is there a point to where it's just so cold that it all feels the same? Like, is there a point where 23 below feels exactly like 35 below? I want if if it just gets so cold, maybe it all just feels the same at some point. Legit, like I, that's honestly what it felt. I, I got out of the car. I was like, "Am I on an acid trip right now?" The, the snowstorm we had what last year, we uh, me and my wife tried to walk to a restaurant that's kind of like in our neighborhood, and we got about a block, and it was no way. I've never felt cold like this. I wanted to get out of the house so bad, but there was there's no way. It gets a certain level of cold. It's not it's not worth it, man. I don't know how you survived it in Nebraska. I don't know how your grandparents survived it in Bismarck, North Dakota. I know, you, you can possibly you write this in Sharpie, write it in blood, write it in whatever permanent uh, material you want. I will never live in North Dakota. Oh, I cannot. No way, dude. I cannot endure those winters. I'm not built for it. Final segment of Locked In coming up next. Air Conference Solutions text line 405-651-3439. We'll close it up next.
All right, final segment of Locked In. The Rush is coming up next. Appreciate all the interaction, as always, on the Air Conference Solutions text line, 405-651-3439. OU basketball tomorrow, 63.9% chance to win via the Basketball Power Index, 11 a.m. on CBS. I haven't seen a spread yet. Will you... uh, Blaine is uh, the uh, betting lines guy on this show, so maybe he'll text oh, really? it in here. Yeah, okay. he's pretty good about that. OSU's won four straight. I was surprised to see bracketology today where OU's not listed as the first four out or the next four outs. They are clearly out of the they dance. They are out, out, huh? They are out, out. Like, they they, they got to win the next three, man. They've got, they've got to win the next three the way it looks to win the NCAA tournament. Yeah, well, I mean, again, uh, I said it. With Steely, I'll say it again. This is really the first game all year that I am actually penciling into the must-win column because one more loss essentially dooms Oklahoma's season unless it comes in the latter stages of the Big 12 tournament. If they can win these last three here, and I think if you defend your home court and knock off Oklahoma State and West Virginia, that gives you some momentum and some confidence that maybe you can go to Bramlage next weekend and get it done against Kansas State. But – if you finish the regular season at 17 and 14, I think you're back in pretty good shape. A win in the Big 12 tournament would help a lot. No doubt. But to me, this is this is the I I, I don't know how obvious or how uh honestly how dense of a statement it is, but this is the most crucial stretch of your season and it's kind of the stretch that uh, we've been pinpointing Tyler from the get-go is because regardless of how many games Oklahoma won or didn't win in Big 12 play, you kind of always felt like that date, March 1st, sure. in Bramlage against Kansas State was going to loom large just because OU hasn't won there in 10 years. And you kind of figured, even from the get-go in conference play, that Oklahoma was probably going to end up closer to the bubble than they were going to end up on the safe end of the tournament field. And so... That could be the razor's edge, that game in Bramlage against Kansas State. So you got to win two in a row. You got to win against Oklahoma State, and you got to win against West Virginia to set yourself up in position uh, to make a statement there with your first win in Bramlage since 2012. But if you can do that, I think you're at the very least back in the picture. This is a game that OU should win. There's a lot yes. on the table. Um, they're the home team, which means a whole lot in college basketball. Like This is a game that OU should win. And I'm, am I going to sit here, like, super confident and pick them to win? I, I don't know because I just don't know. Like, what's – you really haven't questioned the effort of this team at all, but it's been beaten down so much the past two months is what do they have left in the tank? Because Oklahoma State, they can't go to the NCAA tournament this year. They're trying to finish strong. I think their Super Bowl – was playing OU in GIA earlier uh, this year, but this is kind of it. Like this is kind of the, the the final the final big game of the season for Oklahoma State. They're playing to sweep OU. OSU is going to put out a lot of effort tomorrow, no doubt about it. A ton of effort with no postseason. Can OU match? And if OU can't match tomorrow, if they can't match the intensity of Oklahoma State, they're going to be in big, big trouble at the LNC tomorrow. And that's my real concern. That's my real concern. And that Oklahoma State team is coming off a very tough overtime loss at home to Baylor. They're going to be motivated. They've been motivated all season. And they kind of got the wind taken out of their sails with the NCAA's ruling before the season began. But at the same time, 
I think you said it best, Tyler. This team has an opportunity now to sweep Oklahoma for the second consecutive year. Their players are publicly calling OU little bro. Yeah, what are you going to do about it? Oklahoma State is loving every second of this. And so if you don't step up and you can't defend your home floor against a team that is making no bones about the fact that they view you as inferior, you probably don't deserve to go to the tournament. Yeah. Um, hope. Hope people show up to the LNC tomorrow. Eleven a.m. start time, not the easiest. OU fans are just so tired of just eleven a.m. starts in any sport, but especially it, it's it's tougher for college basketball. The traffic no is not as bad, but you know you, you have there's there's more of a purpose, I guess, if you want to call it that, to get to an eleven a.m. football start than an eleven a.m. basketball start, but. Hopefully the crowd is there. Hopefully the crowd is engaged because this basketball team needs it right now. Must win. It is the definition of a must win tomorrow. You don't win tomorrow, you're not going to the NCAA tournament. We might really see the wheels fall off here uh, down the last stretch of the season. All right, that'll do it for Parker. We'll talk to him again on Monday. The Rush coming up next. Keep it locked in right here on The Ref. We're the homeless Sooner fans.